block, straight on, shoot, he scores! Ryan pulls the trigger from center point, blasted by Vasilevsky, and it's 2-0 Islanders! Hernandez sends the ball to left field, and it is gone! A three-run shot for Hernandez, and the Blue Jays are off to a quick start again. The 2-1, and Hernandez drills it, deep center field, and it's gone! The second three-run homer of the afternoon for Teoscar Hernandez. And he hits the ball hard to right center field. Do you believe it? Guerrero with an opposite field home run is 21st on the season. Jeremy Beasley's thrown in the bullpen as Rowdy gets into one. A long way to right in the eighth home run of the game for the Blue Jays. 18 to four. All right, what do you got going on? You've been drinking some green juice. You've been picking away lots at two of stuff. or three different bowls this morning. Yeah, I got lots of stuff going. I got the celery juice. I got the green juice. I got the beet juice, green tea with some lemongrass, berry bowl with some grapefruit on top, sliced. It's uh, I got up early today. I was up at just after three. And I had like nothing to watch. <laughs> Usually I wake up early, watch a game. I had nothing because everything was kind of done earlier yesterday in a sense. I got to watch the the hockey game in the afternoon, Tampa Bay and the Islanders. It was a, it was a good day yesterday. Good morning. Just kind of looking over Euro Cup, a little bit of NBA playoffs this morning. Just seeing everybody pump the Blue Jays tires. No leaf talk at all, which was a nice little breather for the weekend. Oh, we can no come up. We can me. come up with something. Oh. <laughs> we can come up with something if you want. Okay. If you, what do you oh, well, I'm sure. Well, I'll tell you right now. If you want to put something on it, I will guarantee you something gets related or something gets brought up to the Maple Leafs by the end of the show. That's just my guess. Something will happen where we're going to say something about the Leafs or make some kind of comparison. Maybe not you, but me. Did you get anybody in conversation, either on the phone or on text or in person, upset about this Niagara Falls thing? I didn't get one, and I didn't think about it. It's it's not in Toronto. Like, if something yes. happened in Hamilton, like, I'm okay with it. It's Niagara Falls. It's far. I, if I have to go to the end of my street and I see something related to another team, I'm going to be a little bit upset about it, but I can get over it. And I got over the CN Tower thing. I didn't like it. The whole Niagara Falls thing, they want to light it up. Good. Great. Well, there's not in there, Toronto. And there are as many Sabres fans down that way as there are Leafs fans, right? So, yep. I mean, I whether it's a national monument or a local monument or what, I don't, I don't even care about that. Oh, that is a that is a battle Sabres fans can fight if if they want to fight it. Yeah, otherwise I don't mind I'm it. done with it. I'm over it. I don't take it as a personal insult I to the Maple Leafs though. or anything. The CN Tower was different, but yeah, just Paul's seeing the just seeing the Montreal Canadiens name in the final four, like I had to give it the double take on when I'm on, you know. Any site, NHL.com, sportsnet.ca. When I go and look, I look at it and I'm just like, the final four, huh? It's just like, good for them. Oh, by what? the way, by the way, I, I'm jumping in now because the, the false thing is the false thing. 
Remember how everybody got pissed off that Mitchell went golfing? Is there the story? Did you hear the real story? I didn't. I don't know. No, (laughs) but you remember how everybody got pissed off that Mitchell went golfing a a day after they lost game seven Mm -hmm. to Montreal? Where's the outrage over Austin and Freddie joining the Beebs at UFC 283? No, no, no. Where is it? Where is it? Or are you just not allowed to golf the day after? Because you said, you said, I don't want to see anybody having fun. Go and do what you're going to do, but don't make a big spectacle out of it. Well, the playoffs are still going. Like, it it hit me, because I'm watching the highlights, and I, somebody stopped the Beebs and asked him a question. Like, Austin and Freddie were very much part of the entourage. Like, like TMZ and these, they, they, they have absolutely no idea who the hockey players are. Freddie, Freddie could have been carrying a bag or rolling a suitcase That's or right. something. Like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Freddie could have been carrying the Beebs' water bottle yeah. or something like that, feeding him caviar every third step, whatever. But I just thought, I thought, where's the outrage? Or is it that we're around beyond where the Leafs ended and life sort of resumes and Mitch just golfed too quickly? Like I, I think it's golfing too quickly. It's the, it's the, the day after or the week after, like that's when everyone has an issue with it. But if you would have went to a UFC fight or you would have went to a concert a couple days later or the next day, I think you'd I think you'd hear the same like if you would have saw Austin Matthews rolling with the Beebs to a UFC fight the day after, I think people would say anything. And why does it matter? Like I'm with you. When the season ends, it's over. It's it's done. This I don't understand that. I'm because I've been on both sides as a player, I've been a coach, and I've once it's over, it's what done. Are they like, supposed to stay in, in some four hundred and fifty square foot Yes. Top floor condo in Toronto and flog themselves for six weeks. Yes. But that's, that's the way, that's the way people, that's what we think. It's just, it's the optics of it. And I don't, I don't really, I I don't care about the optics in this situation. Like once the season's done, go do whatever you want. But for me, I know I've always said it until the playoffs are over. Don't look like you're having any fun. That's it. That's my only, I know, I know I'm contradicting myself in a sense, but don't be seen on a yacht. Don't be seen jumping off your roof into your pool in your backyard, which you shouldn't do anyways. I don't know why that caught in my mind, but (laughs) don't do anything fun like that. I've never, I've never done that. I don't think so. um, (laughs) I don't think (laughs) not that I recollect. You just, you don't look like you're, you know, you don't, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't be at your cottage posting stuff. Like once the playoffs are over, then you do all that stuff, but not before. Well, UFC 283 also was in Glendale, Arizona. So pretty much Austin's hometown. And you, do you think the Biebs stayed at Austin's house? No or do question. You think he gets no question. You don't think Biebs gets his own hotel or I rents think, a place? I think Austin's probably got the space. Well, his remember they did post a picture of him and Freddie during the the play stoppage last year. Um, during the during the pause in the NHL season, they showed the house, and I was like, "Oh my goodness! Imagine being uh, locked up in that. That'd be pretty nice. The pool in the backyard. I could spend the rest oh of my, my life goodness. in isolation and quarantine. Oh, yeah. No problem. No issues. I don't know. I don't know if the Beeb stayed with him. I, I don't know. That's that's tough, right? Like." 
And then how many nights? Like, what's your what's your take on how many nights you think the Beeb stayed at Matthew's place? I have a three night. That's my that's my with me and my friends and my inner circle. You get three nights at my place because after that we're probably gonna hate each other. When I go to someone's town or something, I do a three night max. That's it. I don't stay any longer, not one minute. I don't think Beebs is hanging out in Phoenix for a long time. Right? So you I, think I, he's I, in and out? I think he's one night and and done. And there might be a sleep in the next day. <laughs> might not be a lot of sleep at night, so there might be a sleep in the next day, and then he's out on the private bird late on Sunday afternoon. That's my <laughs> guess. That's my yeah. guess. And then he just yeah. goes wherever the hell he wants to go. It's back to L.A. Or, or wherever he's from or wherever he's living these days. All right, Blue Jays. I got some thoughts. So I watched the meltdown on Friday night. Let's That's be bad. real. The Jays should be going for the sweep of the Red Sox tonight. Mm-hmm. They dominated the Red Sox Saturday. They absolutely crushed them yesterday. This team is three games over 500 at this point in the season. 33 wins, 30 losses. And with the 14-run victory yesterday, they have a plus 50 a plus 50 run differential. Now, what does that mean? We've got a little Pythagorean wind theorem going on here, Ziggy, based on run differential. The Blue Jays should be 36 and 27 based on their run differential. They are 33 and 30. So they should be three games better than they are. How many games has the bullpen blown in the last three and a half, four weeks? Now, the Jays got... Jeez, 170 million or 810 billion trillion. It feels like that. But they have blown, they got one back against Chicago, but they have blown four or five games late. If they'd won all the games they should have won, lost all the games they should have lost, they'd be 36 and 27. They hit five home runs on Saturday. They hit eight home runs as a team yesterday. Vladdy is in fuego. Bo Bichette is starting to get hot. Tay Oscar's mm-hmm. doing his thing. Marcus Semien is still raking. George Springer should be out on his rehab assignment with at some point within the next three and a half years. And this team looks, I am now convinced, pretty good. This team is a good team. The front office owes this young, talented group owes it some pitching. You Mm -hmm. cannot, you saw the anger. You saw the reaction of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. after the final out was made on Friday night. He was pissed off. And Vladdy is not somebody who shows that emotion very often. Well, yeah. This team can contend for a playoff spot this year. This team has the offense to potentially do damage in the playoffs. Not just get in, but do damage. The front office owes this group, owes this group help, and has a responsibility to get this group pitching help between now and July 31st, and the sooner the better. Yeah, you get up 5-1 in a game, and how many times are you going to give that? You might give up a couple of those a year. How many? One, two of them, maybe three. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating watching that Friday. 
Saturday, though, they come into the game and they get the lead early, right? You get up by six. How comfortable do you feel? Like, I don't feel comfortable at no, all watching no. that game. And that's pr- that's that's hard from a player's standpoint. When you don't have confidence in your pitcher, I, almost, I mean, I have to compare it to your goaltender. I don't know what other kind of comparison I can make it to, but when you don't have any kind of confidence in the guy net or the guy pitching, it's tough to play your game. It's tough when you're always like, is this enough right now? Right? Because you play scared, right? You do play scared. So that's kind of what jumped out at me Saturday. I was like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable. Usually four, five, you feel okay, right? Watching those games. I mean, when they get up by 15, how do you feel then? Like that I I'm okay with 15, 18 to four was a little bit was a b- little bit nuts. And I mean, the bats were just going off. Home homer home runs were. I mean, easy to come by. It's like you want to save some of those runs, right? For another day. That's kind of, I don't like to go bananas on in a game, right? When you get up a lot of goals or you get up a lot of runs, but the 18 four absolute beating yesterday. Uh, I think you got to keep good. piling on at Fenway park. Uh, honestly. <laughs> and look, people will roll their eyes at Rowdy Telez for hitting a home run off of a position player. I think the bigger disgrace is the use of a position player as a pitcher. Yeah. You know, you don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to waste your arms. Yeah. I, I don't think that should be allowed. I, I'm not into that either. Um, yeah. I, I told you that we, I've, I fought hard about this. When you step up to the plate, your average is on the line. Like what's these, like, I can't swing at this or I shouldn't hit a home run or I shouldn't hit off this guy, like that's your food off your table it's as a player. It's hard to hit a home run. It's yeah, hard just, to hit a home run. Yeah, I don't off care anybody. Who's pitching. I know. So, hey, it's the team should be better, like you said, with the stats, run differential. We all like this is the thing though, and I know we've touched on this a little bit, but without Springer in the lineup, if you can keep it at five hundred, are you not happy? The fact that the yeah. rotation is not filled out. The bullpen was well, hot off the start and it's really caught up to them. I just, I'm okay. You hover around 500. The thing is, is they've played well enough to be way above 500. That's the hard part, right? You hate giving games away. You hate giving parts of your season back. Cause you're going to hit a wall sometime. Like they're going to play bad. The bats are going to go cold, right? And you want, you, you want to build that cushion up. And right now they have a couple games, but it should be higher. Well, but, here's the other part of it. Like Ryu is Ryu and he hasn't been himself his last couple of starts, but you know, the bounce back with him is coming. Robbie Ray has been absolutely stellar for this Blue Jays team. Steven Matz, I will repeat my opinion on this. I believe he is a four at best, a five. If you have the type of rotation you want, but he has been better on more nights than he has been bad for this Jays team, and that's good, especially with where he was with the Mets last season. Ross Stripling has started to come around, and there's been a lot of details about him tipping pitches. I mean, he was getting tonged so badly a couple of starts earlier this season. It was like, what happened to Ross Stripling? He can't be that bad. Well, it sounds as though he was tipping pitches. Players, hitters knew what was coming, and when they know what's coming... They're going to sit on it, and they're going to crush the ball, and, and that's what happened. So he's, it looks, gotten that out of his game and has started to pitch better. And Alec Manoa is a work in progress, dominant debut, not so good in his second start, survived and figured out ways to work around 
his command issues in his third start, and he pitches tonight at Fenway Park. Like, the rotation mm-hmm. has not been this stellar at any point this season. So you look at that lineup, and you're waiting for Springer to come back, and it's not tomorrow. I get it. He isn't even out on a rehab assignment, and it's just maddening to talk about at this point. It's like he woke up and ran the bases. I woke up and had breakfast. Like, I don't need the daily routine update. Let me know when he joins AAA Buffalo in Trenton for his rehab assignment. Otherwise, let's just stop talking about it. But when they do get Springer back, you look at the way. The weather's hot now. The bats are heating up in tune with the weather. We're not quite into the dog days of the season. The trade deadline's six weeks away. You got a rotation you're feeling better about. I'd still add to it. But you got a rotation you're feeling better about. You got a lineup that is dominant and that can be dominant. You have got to get arms at the back end of that bullpen that aren't going to yak up games. Because this team could, this team absolutely could go on. They've got enough offense. They'd go on 11 or 12 game winning streak if they've got a bullpen that can hold one and two run leads late in ball games. Because you're not winning by 15 every night. You got to hold so you, some leads late. So what's your so for you? You would you rather add a rotation arm or do would you? add a big closer like if you had to choose only one who do you add right now that's kind of what I feel like that's the question in Jay's management right now that you have to ask yourself if you're going to add one first what do you do are you talking about via trade yeah Mm. I I, because I think I I, you have to think trade talk has to be entering the conversation I know you started I might I might might cheat and say get me a rotation arm and and I'll call up Nate Pearson and have him pitch out of the pen. Well, I don't mind that at all. I've been advocating for that after the one outing he had. I just, I think that's the move with him. But I don't know with pitchers and baseball, like how much does that ruin a guy? And then all of a sudden, do you take him out of, you know, a starting position where he's in the bullpen? And if that doesn't work out, then what do you do to a guy's confidence and development? Like, I I don't know how that all works out. So, but I would move Pearson to the bullpen right now. That's that's the first thing I would do today. Um, you have to it, trade talks have to start like you, like I said, you started off the Jays talk with, you know, this team is good enough and deserves better pitching. Why aren't the moves being made right now? And I guess who are you going to give up? Right. And who is the one guy or two guys you don't mind parting with that are really good? Well, let's let's that's, talk, let's talk quickly about who's done because part of it is. There's no pressure point yet for teams to make moves. So who's who is absolutely with 100% certainty not making the playoffs this year? The Baltimore Orioles. I don't think Kansas City will make the playoffs, but it is early enough for them to say, well, if we got on another seven or eight game win streak because they've already had one of those this year, it's possible. But I'm going to say the Royals, the Tigers, and the Twins. The Twins are a team to watch for me. They've got some arms, both starting arms, and back end of the bullpen arms that could interest the Blue Jays. Seattle, to me, they're dead. Texas is absolutely awful. They're dead. Over in the National League. Don't like Miami. Don't like Washington this year. Pittsburgh, bye bye And there's a relationship there with Ben Sherrington, who's now running the team, but I don't think the Pittsburgh Pirates have very much. They're a young team, heavy on a rebuild. And then in the NL West, you've got Colorado and Arizona. 
neither will go to the playoffs. They're having terrible seasons. So those are the teams right now that if you wanted to do business with, you probably could. And I'm not sitting here saying if you're going and getting a relief arm that you're trading Jordan Groshans or any of your top prospects. But there is enough depth in that Blue Jays farm system that you could p- pitch somebody appealing. The, the key for Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins always is, and I don't, well, I don't believe there are any untouchables. I'll use that term for the sake of the conversation, Ziggy. Who are our prospects who were loath to trade, who we consider untouchable? Like you've got to knock our socks off if we're going to do a deal. You identify those guys, and you're certainly not moving any of them out for a relief pitcher to a bad team in the middle of a season for a relief pitcher. And then you've got those second-tier prospects, and they could be guys that you like, but you're not as warm on, or they could be guys who are so young, buried so deep in the minor leagues, still two, three years away at best from making their big league debut, that you're okay to part with them. And then you got other guys you'd just be willing to move. That That's the assessment that they've got to make right now. But I do think that they've got to get back into the bullpen help somehow, some way, whether it's Pearson or whether it's an outside acquisition. Because the Blue Jays are going to bludgeon teams some nights like they bludgeoned the Red Sox yesterday. But there will be ju- there will be more close games then blowout games, and you have got to lock down the three one three two four two victories. You just yeah. have to. You have and, to. And I don't know what like what was Chatwood doing the other day. It's almost like he couldn't throw a you couldn't throw a pitch. He couldn't. Yeah. No. So and, what, like, is that overwork? Is that like I, no, I, I, no, no, I don't no. know what it that's is. At this t- point. That's Tyler Chatwood. It, that Gosh. that in Chicago, Cubs fans will tell you. And he came to the Cubs as a starting pitcher, having pitched for the Rockies. So his thing in Denver when he was a younger pitcher with the Rockies was that he had this ability, which was highly regarded in Coors Field, just given the high altitude, the way the ball flies. He had this ability to keep the ball in the ballpark. He didn't give up a lot of home runs. The problem was, is he walked a lot of guys. But he gets to Chicago, and he can't throw a strike. And he has no idea where the ball's going. And so what he was, whatever that was for the first six weeks of this season with the Blue Jays in high leverage short relief has actually been the exception as opposed to the rule. So my concern is, is that it's deep into his head. It almost seems like it's a mental thing at this point. I don't want to say that Friday night is who he is or any of the other recent meltdowns are who he is, because those have been so ugly. You have to accept that he's going to spray it around a little bit every now and then. But if he has absolutely no idea where it's going, he cannot pitch, not just in a one or a two or a three run game. I I would say you got to be up by more than five or six. That's why I would have thrown him an inning yesterday just to see what he had. Yes. He would get, if he can find his arm again. For me, when I see watch Chatwood on Friday, it's not that he can't throw a strike. For me, it looks like he's trying not to throw a, a pitch down the middle. Like it shows, like Aiming. it shows that he's scared that the pitch, the the batter is going to hit something juice. Like that's what it looks for me. It's like a golfer when he's coming down the stretch, he's trying not to hit it in a place and not to hit a bad shot. Usually, hit a bad shot. Like when you try not to do something, it's almost like when I watch his bullpen sometimes and I watch Chatwood in those situations. 
I feel like as a manager, I feel like I want to go out there or pitching coach. You have to relay the message. Like I want you to throw a fastball right down the middle. Every time I don't care if a guy hits three home runs and you want, like if you don't have your stuff today, three batters and get out of there. Like, I don't know how crazy an idea that is, but it's almost like he's trying not to throw anything hittable to the batter. That's, that's what it looks like to me from just watching the game, watching Chatwood. I, I don't know what that was. That wasn't even a poor performance. It was beyond that. It looks like a guy afraid to fail. And for my experience as an athlete, nothing good is happening. Mentally crippling. Nothing. Oh, you're just, you're done. I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like being on the mound as well. Like that, the worst spot at any sport, professional sports to be is a pitcher. There's nothing, no, no worse place to be when things aren't going well. Well, so I, I, you know, you feel bad for the guy, but yeah, that was, that was ugly. And I go back to, and I'm not, when I say this, I am not laying all of these issues at Charlie Montoyo's feet. I know there are some people who are going to say that's what I'm saying and they're going to be happy to hear it. I want to be very clear. I'm not laying this at Charlie Montoyo's feet, but Tyler Chatwood has not been the same since that first quasi meltdown where they ended up going to Travis Bergen against Tampa Bay in the top of the ninth inning of that game in Dunedin. Mm -hmm. And Bergen ended Mm -hmm. up walking in the tying run, walking in the go-ahead run, I think walking in the next run as well. The Jays went from a 4-3 lead to a 6-4 deficit and ended up losing that ball game. And Chatwood, who, because he was wild, had loaded the bases and already given up a run in that in that inning, was angry at Charlie Montoyo when Montoyo came and took the ball from him before he'd fully coughed up the lead. And since then, he hasn't been the same. Yeah, now, he's got yeah, to push through that. He's got to push through that. But to yeah. me, his reaction there and what we've seen subsequently, this guy does not believe he's any good. Well, I if I understand a pitcher being upset and the next outing being bad, but once it lingers on a couple weeks, that almost to me paints a picture of that that pitcher or the player, whoever is just not doesn't have the confidence of his coach or manager. If it lasts longer than a game or two, that's what it says to me. And if that's a situation, then then they have a serious problem on their hands. But being upset, being pulled, I get it. Being angry the next game, fine. But after a week, if you're not having a conversation with your manager, something's wrong there. Communication is not there. Something has to be said. There has to be a meeting set because you can't keep going on like this. Well, this is far far deeper. This is far deeper than that day. I'm just saying that that was the day that things changed with, with... I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it in the room. I've seen coaches and players not get along and it ruins seasons. I've seen it happen. And it's because there is no conversation. There's no communication between the two parties and something has to be done. Um, I know as a player, once you don't have the confidence of your coach, you have nothing. Once you get to that sense, like your coach can be mad at you. He might bench you. He might not play you. But as soon as they lose confidence in you, they don't have any, they don't think they can win with you. You're done it, mentally as a player. It's hard to come back from that. And I'm not trying to defend Chatwood. He was awful Friday, and I don't. I I hope he figures it out. But at this point, you can't put him back in in, in a meaningful game, any kind of high leverage situation after what you saw Friday. Ben Nicholson Smith, Stephen Brunn will be along in the seven o'clock hour, and we'll uh, get into the state of the Jays. I'm saying make those pitching acquisitions. This team, this team is good. Now, they happen to be in the best division in baseball, and that complicates things, but this team is good already and only getting better. 
Christian Jack is the Vice President of Media and Content for the Canadian Premier League, and he is our soccer analyst on Euro 2020, what are we calling it, 2021? Euro 2020? It's, 20, it's a 2020. The but Scots what, I mean. play at 9 o'clock today. <laughs> but, of course, the big news over the weekend was the Christian Eriksen situation in the Denmark-Finland game. We'll touch on that. Andrew Berkshire, Habs and Golden Knights get started tonight. The Islanders beat the Lightning in game one. And KD, going to have to do it himself in Brooklyn. All of that and more coming up. If you've been lectured by anybody that got to cheer for the Habs or you're a bad Canadian, any threats to revoke um, your passport? No, but I said I'm going to be cheering for them. I mean, it's kind of tough. I picked Vegas to win the cup, so I mean, what do you want me to do? I'm in a tough spot. Right Stick now. with Vegas, baby. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm been chatting with people this weekend about you know what do you what do you expect to happen i don't know i hope it's a series i i think there's a number of factors that are going to come into play one they've been off for a long time um i know they're gonna get petrie back hopefully sooner now because they finished off the jets in four and gave him a chance to heal but um you know they have that situation with petrie coming back then you have we have the long layoff, which I don't typically like. So depending on what they do to prepare and playing scrimmages and stuff, I don't know. I don't know what the Canadians have up their sleeve, but they have to kind of stay in it. Um, another thing I think fans are going to be a huge factor. I getting in there with 18 and 19,000 fans in Vegas. I haven't seen a game, but a lot of my friends are there and it's going to be hard for them. I think it's going to be hard for the young kids. It's just going to be a dip, different atmosphere. I think it would have been tough in general. I think it's even tougher now that they haven't had any fans. Like when's the lot? I, I know they have two thousand fans in Montreal, but that's nothing compared to what kind of environment they're going to go into. So I think it's really. So you think it'll be play tough for like a Cole Caulfield to yeah. go into an eighteen thousand seat arena Cod with eighteen thousand? Caught Kinyami, just all the younger guy, all the young guys. Yep, I think it's going to be it's going to be really that team. The way they play, the style, um, very similar defensively. Are you talking about communication on the ice? I mean, I communication. Why would you be everything. intimidated? I, I that that's what you live it's for. It's loud. It's almost like it's almost like when you don't, you're not in the game. So obviously, when you have a puck on the ice, communication can be tough if it's loud and you're in the power play, you can't hear anything, or in your own, you're in your own D zone, and the crowd starts going like. I can remember playing at Scotiabank, used to be the Air Canada Center, when my first year in the league, my second NHL game was in Toronto, and my first game was in Phoenix. And I can tell you that they both played a factor. In Phoenix, there was hardly anybody there. And in Toronto, it was Saturday Night Hockey Night Canada, and it was loud in there. And it, it definitely 
it, it definitely made me think more. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the atmosphere affects a younger player more. And what is it? What is it about the fans? I think the fact that it's really loud is going to be tough on them. Like you, like you mentioned, um, I think the energy a home team feeds off of their crowd that also makes it tougher. I can remember it was just, it was a loud night. I can remember trying to back. It just, it's, it's a hard game. It's a hard atmosphere to play in a number of things. I don't know if it's that you're on the bench and when you're watching, you're like, wow, it's loud in here. Wow. You know, it's this team plays so much better in front of a big crowd. Like there's a lot of different things that come into it, but from it, for a young player, I think that's something that you have to adapt to and you get better as the years go on. But yeah, it's just, it's a loud crowd. It's, it's, I, I know I'm trying to explain the crowd to you, the energy. Um, I also think and coming and back I'm not, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm no, not doing a very good no, job. No, but I also think it. coming back and playing in Toronto for you, you've got family, you've got family, friends, friends, but you got to remember the, mo- the moment's bigger for these guys, right? You're in the, you're in the semifinals now, right? Like, I think it will all, it, it's like the whole package. It kind of comes together. Like the way you just mentioned how coming back to Toronto was a factor. These guys are going to be like, wow, we're going against a team that's gone to the semis three to four years. Look at all these names. Like there's a lot of big names on the other side. Flurry and net. Like it's going to be tough for these young guys. I, I, I'm telling you right now, that's what I'm, I, that's going to be a major factor in this Canadians Vegas series. Like if Vegas wins in four, I'm not going to be surprised one bit. Like no disrespect to the Habs. But I'm not going to be surprised because Vegas is just that good. Yeah, and I think it's these things can sometimes be oversimplifications. But if I'm the Montreal Canadiens and I'm such a significant underdog, let's say tonight, if it's tight, if it's a 1-1-2-2 game, if it's a one-goal game either way into the latter stages, I got to pounce. Whatever that Mm -hmm. means, I got to somehow pull out a victory, right? The one thing you don't want to have happen is you're such an underdog. You're on the road. You've kept it close in game one or game two. And Vegas gets a point shot in off somebody's rear end in front of the net. And, and that, that sways the result. Like you have got to take advantage if you're, if you're the Montreal Canadiens of, of, of keeping it close, if you're able to do so. Because Vegas, you know, Ziggy, they're so deep. They can come at you in waves. They're such mm-hmm. a well-built, well-constructed team from the net out. I I think Vegas is going to win this series. But then again, I thought that the Leafs were going to beat the Habs. And I thought that the Jets were going to beat the Habs. And I now have a facial tick as a result of all of that. So I'm, I'm just going to leave it alone. Sit back and watch it. And from the perspective of a... A rooting interest here. I told you that I would go to my grave before I ever cheer for the Montreal Canadiens to win the Stanley Cup. It would be easier to hate the Habs if they were the clear-cut favorite and able to root for Vegas as the underdog, whereas now Montreal's got this little engine that could story going for them. And if Carey Price can get the Habs over the hump against this Golden Knights team, punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup final... From the Habs' perspective, anything is possible. From Price's legacy's perspective, that's the next. That's the next chit he's got to punch. Right? I uh, 
Yeah. Well, I think he's done more than enough in the playoffs where I'm not saying no one's going to doubt him going forward, but I think he's, I think he's changed the perception in a lot of people's mind about what's left and can he still do it? Like, well, I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this. Is this a good way to frame it? Presuming Beijing happens. Is he, is he now Canada's starting goaltender in the Olympics? I think him and Flurry would right. be the would be the tandem. But, but Price I, I, was who, not in who, that conversation two months ago. He was he was on the team, but I don't think he was in the conversation to start. Whose conversation was he in? Who said he was the guy prior don't, two months ago? Don't point at yourself at with that pen too closely. You might poke <laughs> your own eye out. Giving yourself it won't props. Be the, it won't be the first time. <laughs> um. I told you, and and uh, I I've mentioned this many times over the years. In a ten day, two week, three week event, you got to be careful for price. And he's been one of my favorites. I had a conversation with a host. I'm not going to mention their name. It was on Sportsnet. It was, <laughs> and this is years back. Um, and we were talking about price. I don't think it was on air. It was off air. And I was like, he's like, who who do you like, goaltender? So I was like. I still think Price is is one of the best in a one game, two week you get him in the Olympics, and they kind of scoffed at the thought of the, you know that take like oh come on he's done ten million a year I'm like no put all that aside this guy and I I didn't play against him all I think I played against him one game just from watching him and from the guys that have to go against him he 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 would worry me the most in a one game or a one week or two week event. And the host just was like, oh, come on. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. So this is kind of what I was talking about. Uh, I think the $10 million a year price tag really changes what you think of a player. It shouldn't. But obviously, in our cap world now, everything a player does is tied to their cap. And any local and examples that you're referring to there? No, I'm just making a general okay. statement. Just a general <laughs> statement? Okay. I'm making a general statement. Nobody in I'm particular. Not, I'm not mentioning the L word today. We're not talking about any Ls, okay? I meant Leafs, that not the other L. Okay, so, um, <laughs> um, but uh, with Price, yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Who knows in this series? Like, look what he did with the Leafs. Look what he did with the Jets. Like, what if he's better? And I, I'm said, I said he stood tall in a lot of these games against the fir- in the first two rounds. What if he actually stands on his head and is like unbeatable? Like, what if he gives up a goal a game? two goals again, like that's going to be the only chance. I'll tell you right now, they let in three goals. They don't have a chance. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope the goals keep coming for the Habs, but I just, they're back end. We talked about, I talked about Montreal and how good they are. Like Martinez, Petrangelo, McNabb, Theodore, Holden, White Cloud. Like that's a big mobile back end that, can create offense and are tough to play against and they're big and they're heavy and they're long and they're miserable. Like, gosh, that's just one offensive zone. That's going to be really tough to do anything for the, for Montreal. Montreal is going to need offense from their, from their defense and didn't get much of it in the first against, uh, against the Leafs, but definitely got in the second round against the jets. And they're going to have to continue that because it's going to be tough generate anything against this team well, up front patcheretti stone marchesso tuck those are like the four names i'm looking at and how effective can ryan reeves be and montreal hasn't trailed 
since they skated off the ice in a 4 nothing loss to the Leafs after game four in the first round. So if they fall behind, can they climb back into a game? That That is the question that they haven't had to answer yet and probably will at some point more than once in this series. Uh, Christian Jack, Andrew Berkshire, Christopher Stieg, Ben Nicholson-Smith, Stephen Brunt all ahead. We've got to talk about the Christian Eriksson situation in the Denmark-Finland match on Saturday, Euro 2020, well underway. Good start for England. Good start for Italy. Big start coming up later today for Scotland. Little 9 a.m. kickoff. Guess who's running home after the show? (laughs) Euro 2020 talk. And uh, Kevin Durant is going to have to do it himself. You're listening to Lead Off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. So, quick take on the uh, Nikola Jokic ejection in the Nuggets mm. Suns game four. Let's not sit here and harp on this as if that was going to change the tide of the series. Phoenix was winning yeah. that series, right? Whether it was a sweep or whether it was in five or six, it was it was over. Yeah, he's frustrated. It's tough, right? MVP of the league, and you can't do anything well, about I'll it. I'll tell you what, like, dude. Jamal Murray, that that sunk him. That sunk yeah. the Nuggets when when Jamal tore his knee mm-hmm. in mid-April. And, and that was it for them. So now Phoenix moves on. The Chris Paul story continues. Clip host the Jazz in game four tonight. <laughs> Maybe Kawhi has him right where he wants him, right? They were mm-hmm. down 2-0 in their first round series. They were down 2-0 coming home and have an opportunity to uh, pull even tonight. The Clippers do. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden has the hammy. Kyrie Irving left the building last night in a walking boot. The superstar Brooklyn Nets team is down to one as far as we know, having lost both games in Milwaukee. That series is tied at two apiece. And so really, there are there is a supporting cast on both sides. I understand that, whether it's Middleton, Holiday with the Bucks, But this is now the Giannis KD show. And one of those two, Ziggy, will exorcise a demon in their reputations. Whosever team wins the series will exercise a demon. You do not want Giannis to win though. I just, I I feel like he's had so many people question him and, and what he can do in Milwaukee and whether he was going to go back or not. And he just, he always seems like he can't get it done and he can't do it by himself. I just, at this point, I want the guy to win. Um, And it's going to, it's, it's not going to be easy. It never is. Never winning a championship is never easy. I understand in basketball, you need your stars to play well and everything center centers around them. But with Giannis, it always seems like he hasn't had that support. And is this the year he can he can punch through? Um, I, I just I want him to win one. He he's he's good enough to win. And we always talk about the superstars and who deserves to win. And you know me, I love my guys that play hard, and he's a guy that shows up every day. And he's a guy you want to be successful. Like you, you think there's certain players in my mind 
there are certain players in everyone's mind that they think they should deserve a championship. Giannis is definitely at the top of the list. Game five of the uh, Bucks and Nets will go tomorrow night, and it'll be the uh, pivotal one, obviously, in the sense that it's a 2-2 series, and Brooklyn shorthanded uh, will be looking to uh, maintain home court advantage in what has been a homer series so far. Big morning for the Scots, and that's me speaking personally. England off to a great start, Italy off to a great start, and the handling of a near tragedy when Christian Eriksen of Denmark collapsed on the pitch Saturday morning. It, it gave us all pause. Man, it was mortifying. And we were thinking of comparisons in pro sports. We came up with a couple that are kind of, sort of similar, but not entirely. Uh, we'll touch on that and uh, get into a more Euro 2020 discussion. And back on the Blue Jays. Get them some pitching. This team is good. The Blue Jays blow out the Red Sox by a score of 18 to 4, hitting eight home runs in the game. Three seconds to go. The puck's out the center. The horn sounds, and the New York Islanders hang on. They take game one here today in Tampa by the final score of 2 to 1. This will do it. Suns have swept the Denver Nuggets. The Suns are going to the conference finals. I don't have an issue to say that I'm going for the title in Wimbledon. Of course I am. Had a great success that I won in, in 18 and, and 19 there. So hopefully I can keep that run going. And tonight's best in show to the Pekingese. Whoa! Whoa! that dog's thinking Nothing. did you see that thing yeah no you know, you know what it's thinking i hope my owner gets me a damn haircut yeah it's the middle of summer well they they poof out all those dogs right i mean the the samoid was uh he was all poofed out as well I, you mean I, they blow dry the hair and i all guess that? so yeah I, I don't know You're, we're talking hair i don't know the proper terms for this uh Whoa. i i had my well, there was like a there was like a bulldog in there. Too. Or sorry, a French bulldog. I had my money on the French bulldog. Damn you it. didn't watch a minute of it. I watched some of the I watched the very start of it. It was at seven o'clock. I watched the very start of it. They they held it outdoor. We're talking about the Westminster dog show, by the way. We should probably give it a title. Yeah. Uh they held it outdoors for like the first time on this lavish, lavish estate. Like the grounds of the estate and they had it in this this tent it was the, the thing looked like the the the, the home looked like a, a clubhouse at a golf course that's how big how this about thing barry was. bond ziggy having a dog yeah. in the fight here huh yeah. did you see the one owner bail do you know how they run alongside <laughs> oh yeah did you see him almost <laughs> killed his own dog down hard he almost <laughs> killed his own dog he almost if he would have found the dog the dog would have had it it would have got stretchered off i'm not kidding <laughs> Like the, it, the he, dog, so he was running alongside yeah. that. So they kind of have like the obstacle, like what do you call it, like obstacle course or whatever. And you kind of yeah. go like, what? Yeah, and I and have you seen that? Did you any? Am I the only one that saw that? No, okay. I, saw, I saw it on Twitter. I, I didn't. I didn't see it live. I wasn't like you watching it like all weekend. But some of the I think it. I think it happens <laughs> a lot though. Like I think the. I think the owners. 
I think it happens quite often where they they fall, like when they're walking or running beside. I think sometimes they trip and fall. Sometimes the owners like have happens. a better gait. Yeah. Than well, the, the handlers, dogs the, themselves. A lot of times, the handlers aren't—they're uh, not world-class athletes. If you know, it's what the I'm agility saying. competition. Yes. Sorry, yes. somebody yes. just sent me a message. The, the, somebody the agility, <laughs> ang, the agility competition. Yeah, All right, that's what it's called. All right, yeah. that show that the dog show hasn't been the same since they got rid of the swimsuit competition. Really, it's just—it's not not as good. We got to check. Not as good. Barry Bonds's dog's locker stall. Yeah. There Mag- could be some magic pills in there. That dog did have a rather large head. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just, and two, not, and two years ago. I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> two years ago, it didn't. That That's when you, the red flag started to go off. You guys, honestly. <laughs> guys, you have to watch. Them. Well, tweet it out. Tweet I, it out. I can't <laughs> dig it up on Google right now. It's just. I mean, oh my goodness. It's on, it's on the Sportsnet Twitter. Okay. So just go to Sportsnet. Um, trainer Dan Hattie had a Boston just. Terrier named Ripple. <laughs> and he honestly almost took him out. Like it, it's. <laughs> Dan Hattie almost caused a ripple. Oh, man. Oh, sorry. Well, shenanigans at the Westminster Dog Show. Yeah. Who likes it? All right, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and we'll get back to because I, I do want to see this footage. I just need to take the time to uh, to be able to look. I'm so, almost sorry that I, I I missed this near incident at the uh, Kennel Club Dog Show. The Blue Jays get them some pitching. The front office has a responsibility to this young group, this very talented young group of players, to get it some pitching. I'm telling you right now, 33 wins, 30 losses. A plus 50 run differential. They should be 36 and 27 based on their run differential. If you count the number of bullpen blow uh, blow ups in the last three, four weeks, they should be 36 and 27 right around there, right? There have been meltdowns, too many of them. There was another one on Friday night at Fenway Park. They should be going for the four game sweep of the Red Sox tonight. And it didn't. I just saw it now. Ripple <laughs> caused a ripple. Yeah, this guy. Geez, I'm in the middle of making a really important baseball point too. What's he it's doing? Awesome. He's trying to cut the dog off. It's a Boston Terrier. <laughs> no, he, he, he toe picked. He toe picked. Yeah. He toe picked. It's that dog. He didn't came, have the right. He didn't oh, have the right footwear on. Yeah, he toe picked, and he took a two or three step fall too. Oh, oh my goodness! Imagine that. The handler costs his dog the gold medal. Well, what did I just say? I mean, not world class athlete. Right? Yeah, this looks like. Me that that I looks like I a would, Chris Farley yeah. SNL skit. Yeah, right there. <laughs> the dog came with it about an inch and a half of losing its life. Yes, <laughs> that remember the old pro wrestler earthquake? Yes. Uh, it was almost like an earthquake splash on poor little Ripple, the Boston uh, Terrier. Where were we? Okay, well I'm just at least um, we're looking at this footage from the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. All right, uh, no, but what I'm saying is 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 the Blue Jays are better than their record. Yeah. Except that they're not because they don't have the late inning relief. And this front office has a responsibility to these young players who are performing at a very high level. The weather's getting hot. The bats are getting hot. Springer eventually will be back. I think we still believe that. The starting rotation is starting to round out. Like, Mats was pretty good. 
Stripling was pretty good. Ray was dominant again or close to dominant. He didn't have to be dominant. He was up by you 14 runs yesterday. Ryu will find his game. Ryu will yeah. be fine. Yeah. Hyunjin Ryu is one of the yeah. – as long as he's healthy, he's one of the best pitchers in the sport. And Manoa goes tonight, and he was great, then not so great, then survived the yeah. start in Chicago, got him through five innings. The rotation has not been in a better position. It could still be better, but it's not been in a better position at any point this season than it is now. Go and get an arm or two for the back end of that bullpen, and let's see what this team... This team has a 10, 11, 12-game win streak in its belt because it's certainly capable enough to pull that off offensively. What are you giving up for a not a top end, Not a top-end prospect. No? This, is, this is not... I'm not sitting here saying you blow up the world for the sake of A, this season, or B, the back end of the bullpen. Well, but, I, guess, I guess two questions, actually. First of all, who's, who's there that you want, and what do you give up to get? Well, there are, there are functional arms on some of these teams that very clearly are out of the playoffs. Like, we went through it. Baltimore, I don't think there's a lot there, but the Orioles are done. If it's okay? June, the Orioles must be out yeah, of it. The Orioles are done. Kansas City, Detroit, Minnesota are done. The Twins are a team I'd be looking at. They got Colome at the back end of the bullpen. They got Barrios. They got Hap in their starting rotation. They got arms that would appeal to contending teams. Seattle I don't like. Uh, Texas is terrible. In the National League, man, Atlanta's even getting close. But Miami and Washington, to me, they're no good. Pittsburgh. They're terrible, and there's a relationship there. I don't, I don't think there's a lot in Pittsburgh, but the Ben Sherrington relationship used to work for Shapiro and Atkins here in Toronto. Maybe they got something. Uh, Colorado, Arizona in the National League West, they're done. Like There are teams that are going to be ready to start moving out bullpen assets here. The Washington Nationals have a Daniel Hudson, right? Everybody's talking yeah. Scherzer in the rotation. Ex-Blue Jay Daniel Hudson could could be... A help to this Blue Jays team. There are names on these non-contending teams that would certainly help. You're not getting Phelps back. You are waiting for Merriweather, but you don't know what you've got. I mean, he went on the 60-day IL two weeks into the season, Oof. and he's been injured constantly. Yeah. So what are you getting when you get him back? You can't count on that. Chatwood has fallen apart. Barucki's... Still not healthy, and he's had enough mm. injury history now that you wonder how long he's going to be able to maintain it when he gets back. The list is long in terms of guys who. So I, I think you got to go and get him something. I, I and I think you got to do it soon. You can't keep blowing these games. No, this team Mano- is good Manoa's going a long win streak. Manoa's going to have to come in and get more comfortable. I know he's only played a handful of games, but he's going to have to come and be a star. They're going to need Merriweather. Baraki, they're going to need those guys to come off injury and pick up right where they left off. Like th- those are just to stay in the race, not to make the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to need that just to keep their head above water. One, and I know they're playing good, but their head's just above water. Would yeah. you not agree? Like they they don't have a playoff spot locked up right now. No, the, their bats are 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 kind of keeping them above water, Zig, for sure. Their strength of schedule yeah. comes down significantly yeah. as of Friday when they start a series with Baltimore. Yeah. Why not a Nate Pearson out of the bullpen? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I think they, I mean, they, they still consider him a starter over the long term. but, but I agree with you. I mean, 
If you what, look at it, what, what do you have to lose? This is not the best example because no. of the way his career has gone. But Aaron Sanchez started 2015 as a starter. Yeah. Then he went on the injured list in early June of 2015, and he returned six weeks later, and he was the eighth inning guy the rest of the year, and he was pretty good at it. If you have to watch Pearson's innings because of the year-over-year build and last year was essentially a loss and he also wasn't healthy for the full 60-game season last year, hasn't been healthy for the full run this year either. If you have to monitor his innings, an inning here every other day, uh, two innings every three days as more of a bulkish type guy, I think that those are very reasonable options with him. I don't see him coming up and being a five or six inning guy every five no. days. And I don't even know that he has to be. And I also don't think that it ruins the possibility of him being a starting pitcher over the long haul. I, I do think he factors in here at some point. I, I agree. I, I think I, I think you explore that option first before you, you give up any any prospects for some guy. Because if it's not some guy, if it's the guy, then you're going to have to give up a lot more. Well, so I, I think it, it, you're best served to to try a guy like Pearson in the bullpen. It's still early enough in the season you can do that. It's you're almost it's almost like a an, an experiment right now. But your bats your bats are keeping your head above water. Your starting rotation is starting to round out. Yep, that's Pr- positive. Pretty solid. Pretty solid. Thank God they didn't need the bullpen yesterday. Yeesh. Yeah, and, but you don't have enough down in that pen. Yeah. You've got. Mm-hmm. Romano, who, uh, I mean, seems to need a couple of days off in between appearances. That's worrisome for me. Uh, Dolis, it's a trip to Adventureland with him (laughs) a lot of the time. And then after that, Anthony Castro, I I guess. Like, Tyler Chatwood's not even in the conversation right now. You're going to the back of the media guide, right? Pretty, pretty. Like quickly. you're you're leaning yeah. more on Tim Mesa, so they got to address it soon. This is a good enough team to contend, and they also are in the toughest division in baseball. Yes, they are. Like I that's mean, a big d- part d- of it. Despite what they did to the Red Sox, yes, they're still what four games back of the Red Sox. Right, but they're good enough yeah. to close that yeah. gap yeah. if they have help. What they can't have happen is what happened Friday night. You know, you're what. Two games, three games. You're three games back of the Red Sox. Had you won Friday night, like you should have, mm-hmm. they should be going for the sweep tonight. So yeah, but you're 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 happy you didn't fall off the tra- the the train didn't fall off the tracks though. Like a game after Friday, your team can implode after that, or you can go on a four or five game slide, and they didn't. But that reinforces that's, the fact they should get help. Yes, I'm with you. Before we always thought they needed help, but after they come back and play that way and respond, yeah. For management, you go and make a move now. The thing is, I think they'd rather part with a player and a player on their team right now than they would with prospects. That's my guess that they'd they'd explore those options. And I don't know who that like player a Rowdy Telez. Telez, what his value is? Guriel is not. You're not trading Guriel for a reliever. He's he's too good a hitter when he's at his best. Kevin Biggio in the conversation. Is he, is he a name you'd bring up or mm. explore? Like, yeah. that's a, it's a tough one, right? Um, I just think they would rather go that way than give up prospects. And I'm, 
I'm with them on that. I, I think that would be a better move. The Christian Eriksson situation in the Denmark-Finland game on Saturday, I mean, that was mortifying. It First thing I thought of after the shock of it was this reminded me of Yuri Fisher and Rich Peverly, but those two incidents in NHL games happen on the benches, right? Whereas this was a collapse yeah. right on the pitch. There was nobody around him, and and he just went down. And, I mean, there has been discussion, should they have restarted the match? The Danes end up losing to the Finns, one nothing. At that point, they knew he was stable. Yep, I, I, I'm okay with conscience. them. I'm okay with them restarting the match. He wanted them Apparently, to. he wanted them yes. to. But, yes, and, yeah. and I'm not, it's not necessarily a morality play yeah. for me, one way or the other. It's going out there as an athlete about an hour yeah. After your leader, it doesn't matter if well, it's your leader or not. It's a teammate. It's not somebody on your team. It, yeah. You experience that. It's certainly not the same thing, but what happened with John Tavares in game one against the Habs is, is kind of, it's in the same neighborhood. The team has to kind of rally around that. Um, it was, it was awful. It was, it was, it was damn near a tragedy, but it also speaks to the medical response team and and how good those people are. And we we seem to forget that sometimes. It's like uh, one of the doctors was saying we lost him. He was dead. They brought him back the heart to life. Stopped. Yeah, yep. they brought him back to life. They defibbed him. It worked once. Like like they only had to do it one time. And the doctor was surprised that it only took one time. But yeah, his heart had stopped. It's 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 incredible, and you know nothing nothing but the best. Uh, I th I think I think that team, despite losing, will kind of now use that that they're, they're going to want to win for him. They didn't, but moving forward, I th I think that's that's great motivation. He wanted them to play, so I, I don't have an issue with the game. Yeah, I, I it's a it's similar to the Tavares situation where a guy goes down like that, and it's a scary situation on the ice or the field or. But at the same time, the, I feel, I feel like it was a little bit different where, I mean, he almost died on the field. Like he was, he was, he was gone. So different, right? I, I'm not saying taking anything away from the Tavares injury and what happened to him in game one, but a little bit different. And you, you have your friends on the team and it's a guy you've known your whole life. It's the national team. Like it's a different situation. I feel, um, and I, I, I thought they should have moved it to the next day. Like, I thought they should have moved it a day. The 90 minutes to regroup, I'm not sure that makes it any better. I think it would have been better to play right away and not stop at all then. But once you, you're given uh, an hour and a half to go back in the room, then you're wondering, like, is he okay? Is it going to happen again? I think it made it even worse waiting the 90 minutes. So I thought they should have just kept playing or preferably wait a day, wait two days. It's it's scary, right? Um one of our, I've one seen of our, guys. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Zig. One of our texters, Pat in Paris, is, was said that their first thought was of John McSherry, the umpire, yeah, the umpire who in, collapsed in, and in died Cincinnati. on opening day in '95. I want to say it was in the Reds Expos game. Yeah, now, Marge Schott was the owner of the Reds at the time. Now, did that? I, I can't remember. Did that game go ahead? No, it did not. Okay, no, because she later was quoted as saying that he ruined her opening day. She okay. was a nut job. How but, dare he? Yeah. Well, we're just thankful that Christian Erickson's okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's that's 
really the be-all and the end-all of, of that conversation. Yep. And uh, we'll see if the Danes can can push forward. Obviously, they're going to need a victory in their next tilt. England off to a good start. Italy off to a good start. England had never won an opening game of Euro. That blows my I, mind. I didn't know. That's, that's crazy to me. Wow. And Italy dominant. And typically, they're slow out of the gates at these international tournaments. Like, it's always negotiable. Are they going to get out of their group? Yeah. And then they do, and they typically go deep, do quite well. Well, I think they're playing to win now, not just to not lose, which has kind of been the MO for Italy in a lot of these major tournaments. They 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 get one goal, and, like, that's enough. Like, that, they think that that's enough. And so hopefully this is a changing of the, of the guard. And speaking of uh, playing not to lose, the New York Islanders. Man, is Barry Trotz the best head coach in the National Hockey League, Zig? I, he's up there for me. Um, he always seems to find a way to get it done. Every single year, who who he has in the lineup, doesn't have in the lineup, scores, no score. He just, he finds a way. Players and as you've said, he's a player's coach. Here's the thing. And, him. you know, yeah. we always hear, oh, guys are old school, and we tend to put them in age brackets, right? Well, this guy's a certain age. He must be old school. Barry Trotz seems to have a way to relate to his players that a Mike Babcock in a similar age bracket hasn't been able to, at least with the the newer generation. Like Barry Trotz is the guy that I think everybody wanted Babcock to be here in Toronto. Yeah. I think because he's, he's, he's unassuming. He doesn't have to be the biggest star in the room. Like, like he doesn't have to show everybody no, who's boss. No, he doesn't. He just and I think players respect that, and they'll go through a wall for this guy. Islanders are a dangerous team. I still think it's going to be Tampa. Sure, but I mean they've taken home ice yeah, advantage yeah. away, and they've pretty much assured that this is going to be a long series. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, his team his teams are always structured though, like defensively structured. He gives you what, what's good about guys like what makes guys like. Barry Trotz successful is having a system in place, a detailed system, but allowing players the freedom to do whatever they want on the ice. Like he doesn't hold you back. I think he talked about this briefly in the playoffs and how he even loosens the reins a little bit more. You know what the way you have to play with him, but then you have your own freedom to be creative on the ice. And you can see that with Barzell's goal last night. Like guys are allowed to do what they want to create offense, but you just, they have a specific look they want to give teams and it's successful. So that's a play. Like it's, it's tough to say, okay, we're going to just, we're going to cave in. We're going to collapse the house in our own end. We're going to bung up the neutral zone and we're going to play this boring style hockey. Is it the most exciting? Nope. But is it successful? Absolutely. And for a player, that's hard to do sometimes. That's hard to do throughout the course of a season to play defensive style game and be excited to go to the rink excited to go deep in the playoffs. Barry Trotz it's 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 a good mix he has with his players, right? He allows you to do what you want to do on the ice, but there are certain things, you know, it's it's the team first philosophy, but he allows players the freedom to go out there and do what they want. Sometimes it comes across as boring on the TV and I'm with you on that, but here they are in the mix again and he always seems to find a way, always. Right back in the uh, final four, Habs and Golden Knights, game 1 tonight, 9 o'clock. On Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. Yes. Hugh can't lose. <laughs> no, I can't. Hugh. They're my two favorite teams. I'm good can't either way. Who are you lose. putting on? Who's your money on? Who's who? It, you, well, I mean, to, if, uh, put a dollar. 
Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to bet. I, I think Vegas wins, but I think in six games. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's going he to bet $4.50 to win a buck. Exactly. I think oh it God. goes back to Montreal tied. Stephen Brunt, what does he think of my call for this Blue Jays team to go get pitching? Habs, Canada's representative, baby. We should be cheering for them, right? Golden Knights, we'll talk about that. And, of course, uh, get into the Christian Eriksen situation and the Denmark-Finland game from Euro over the weekend. Jays are a good baseball team and they can be a playoff contender this year if the back end of the bullpen is appropriately dealt with the way that they bounce back from Friday night's letdown the meltdown of the bullpen performances Saturday and then yesterday 13 home runs in the last two games tells you this is a good young group and they need just a little bit of help playing in baseball's toughest division, and who knows where it could go from there. Uh, Stephen Brunt is the co-host of Writer's Block alongside Jeff Blair, 3 to 5 Eastern time each and every day here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, and he is with us, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Stephen, watching the last two games... Like, it just firmed it up for me that this is a really good young group. We know that, but we just weren't sure whether they're there yet. I think this lineup is pretty close to being there. They almost, if not get there, almost get there with a George Springer. If these bullpen meltdowns would just stop, who knows where they could get to this season? Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a, a fair conclusion. Like, like I was I was watching that game yesterday. Um, well, watching the whole weekend, but especially watching that game yesterday, just because you know, even though it wasn't a game, pretty quickly it was just astounding to watch. And think, okay, so let's sub uh, Springer in for Jonathan Davis in that lineup, and uh, just for fun, let's sub Alejandro Kirk in. And I like Riley Adams, by the way. And I don't know, Scott, you probably seen him in the spring. He's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. You're late in a game in a spring, in a grapefruit league game. Somebody hits a monster home run. You look and say, who was number 62 there who just hit that? And it was always him. He's got real, the guy does have power. I don't, you know, again, I'm not sure he's the catcher of the future, but, but let's put Alejandro Kirk in that spot. Look at that lineup. Like, is, you tell me there's a better offensive lineup in baseball. There isn't. There, there just isn't. Yeah. And it's, we keep talking about starting rotation and bullpen obviously was an issue Friday, but, is it as simple as just saying, well, we just need to add someone and everything's going to be fine? Well, it's, it's, it is and it isn't, um, Ziggy. Like it, yeah, they, need some, they need some fresh arms in the bullpen and you know, preferably some fresh arms with a little bit of experience in, in late-inning situations. But it's not like you know, we're, you know, we're getting closer to trade time. But you know, this time of year, it is. It's not like you can just go out on the market. And if you look at what you know, the one kind of significant trade that's been made Early in the season, Tampa went out and got two guys who were very useful bullpen arms. They gave up their starting shortstop. Now they had some depth. Like they have three more shortstops, including the best prospect in baseball, waiting in the wings. But that was the price. 
for for two you know not and neither of those guys are really closers they're you know really useful kind of mid to late innings relievers so it's you're going to have to wait till we get a little closer to the July deadline and see who's selling. The price will be high because everybody needs arms, um, but you know not necessarily crazy high for. And if you look at some of the guys who they brought in in previous years who have been useful, you know like the the Phelpses and the Daniel Hudsons and guys like that. You know Daniel Hudson was a waiver claim, but I, I just yeah I, th- I think they're going to need you know maybe and maybe some of that is making the decision that Thomas Hatch is a reliever for the rest of this year or that Nate Pearson is a reliever for the rest of this year or that you know Patrick Murphy is a useful guy uh you know maybe some of the solution is internal um and you look you're going to have to cross your fingers in terms of health but that's the same for every team in baseball there's a ton of injuries out there right now but you know you can look at that you know the flip side is you can look at that rotation right now and we'll see what Manoa does today but you know if he can kind of hold down his end uh, as as the fifth guy in a learning situation, uh, you know, like I think we can now say that Robbie Ray, you know, is you know you know what you're getting from him during his turn in the in the uh, rotation, you know, to a large degree, you know what you're getting from Stephen Matt, and you know, like Ray has had kind of almost aces stuff this year. Matt's is not that, but he's a classic kind of mid rotation guy right now. You know what you get with Ryu. Uh, they're getting a little more length from their starters, which is going to help um, consistently. So you're getting, you know, six innings from those guys or at least 100 pitches from those guys. It, it, it's not like, look, having to go out and find some bullpen pieces is not as hard as trying to go out and find somebody who's going to, you know, hit 25 home runs in the second half of the season. It, uh, but beyond that, um, you know, like you cross your fingers and knock on wood about injuries, but. It's it it's it is a very easy team to like right now. Yeah, and, and like the Romano situation confuses me a little bit. Like there was yeah, forearm too. tightness on Friday night, and then he's throwing ninety nine on Saturday afternoon. And how many days off does he need in between appearances? So there's there's that going on, and then there's Dolis, which is a a trip to Adventureland, and and I think mm. that we we understand. I'm, it's funny. I'm watching Kimbrel close for the Cubs last night, and I'm thinking, my God, like with Jordan, like you got you had a breaking pitch like Kimbrel's got, and you throw a 99 mile an hour fastball like Kimbrel has, like just attack, attack, attack the way Kimbrel does. And I understand Craig Kimbrel is one of the better closers that we've seen in the history of this sport, especially over the last decade or so. But you know, Dolis never going to give you that, and. Nope. Anthony Castro's Anthony Castro, and he's in the position he's in because of the faltering of others. And like Tyler Chatwood's a guy, Stephen, if you're not going to use him yesterday, when are you going to use him next? Yeah, it's uh, that's it's a re- that's a really good question. I kind of expected to see him yesterday in some of that kind of in the, the some of the mop up work at the end of the game. Um, I kind of expected to see Sacedo, the guy they called up, just to you know, see what he looks like. Um, you know, maybe they gave Beasley the uh, the inning because they knew they were going to send him right back down today if Matt's clears the COVID protocol, and they thought, boy, you know, the kid's been up and down and up and down. Let's let's give him an inning here. I don't know. You know, to Charlie's. You, I, I, sometimes Charlie's decisions are about team stuff that you know maybe some of us on the outside and everybody's on the outside these days with COVID, but those of us on the outside may not understand every bit of his motivation when he brings in a pitcher in a situation like that. But yeah, Chatwood, I. 
like I felt for Charlie the other day, you know, after the 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 Friday meltdown when he said the the <laughs> where do we you know, go from here? Do, where do we yeah, go? Yeah, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want me to do? And he's been kind of micro criticized for his use of re, relievers in some quarters, but I think honestly he's. You know, I know people pine for the days. Well, why don't you just leave guys in for more than one inning? Well, that's not no. That's not how relievers are, and how they're used, and how they expect to be used. This is not the olden days, right? This is it's it's not that's not how it works. Most guys are one inning guys. This is not Mike um, Marshall of the nineteen seventies. No, and it's not even you know Tom Hankey and Dwayne Ward where you yeah. just kind of ran them out there every day until their arms fell off, and you know in Ward's case, his arm fell off. You know, yep. so it you got to so let's yeah let's put this in a you know. 2021 context here and how you use relievers but uh i i think in the short term the solution has to be internal i think these guys will be aggressive at the deadline and look here's the, and the other thing is you know they they could be a really good team this year and not make the playoffs it's entirely possible but this is you know we're not this is not a one and done situation if you look at the youth of that lineup uh, you know the position player lineup but you know watching the red Sox yesterday and they've you know they got a better record than the jays do right now but their starting pitching is you know turned into a pumpkin and you don't know what you know when or what Chris Sale's going to be when he comes back you know the Yankees are floundering you know the Rays are the Rays man they I thought this is the year they fall back I was kind of wrong but uh you know this are, are the Jays the second best team in the American League East right now even with those struggles like I think you can make that case run and, differential yeah, run differential yeah. says so yeah, it's not fluky, right? So that does that guarantee you a wild card spot? Nope. But I ex- fully expect them to be in it um, into September. I fully expect them to be aggressive at the deadline. You know, not crazy because again, this is it's a long term proposition. Uh, I think we're going to see the catching position. It's interesting. I think that's one of the more interesting stories on this team, right? Um, does Danny Jansen ever get back? Is, does anybody ever call Danny Jansen the number one catcher on this team again? I think. And I, I'd say no right now um, because he just hasn't – he's had the opportunity. He's had multiple opportunities, and I love him. He's a great guy, and, it's you know, he's a great story, and you kind of wait for the bat to come around the way it did in the minors. But there's competition. You know, they're deep at that position. So And the we'll best of the that, bunch is coming eventually. The best – that's right. And maybe eventually is, you know, a September call-up. Um, you know, maybe not. Maybe you might not have to do that. But so – yeah, I, look, I think this is a really exciting time, and and they're not perfect, and they're going to be nights like Friday when they break your heart, and it's you know it's impossible, Scotty, not to look back at the schedule they played, and say, man, there are half a dozen games at least that they should have won, and you you know put those half a dozen wins in the win column and take a half a dozen losses out, and where are they right now? But you know sometimes, I mean, like I, I as the old guy, the historian. Um, I can look at some of those seasons in the 1980s and, you know, what the pain that you had to go through to get to the point where you eventually won a World Series. You know, there were teams that should have won. There were, you know, 87, team should have won. 85. Um, 85, they were within a hair, right? And they would have won the World Series that year, I think. Uh, you know, even even the, you know, the, the playoff team, the, you know, losing to Kansas City, how close was that? So... You know, yeah, it's it, it is sometimes you can have a great team and it's a very fine line. And I think right now this team, but the but the beauty of this thing right now is that it's not a team built on old guys like 2015 was. You know, it is a team built on guys who are going to be better two years from now than they are now, presumably. 
So you mentioned Danny Jansen. Is that an issue that the fact they don't have the catching position ironed out? I know they have McGuire, Adams, Kirk's injured right now, but is there a date where you'd like that all figured out or can you just rotate between guys, you know, into the playoff position and into the playoffs? I, I don't think it's an issue because I think they're all defensively competent. I haven't seen mm-hmm. any of those guys who, who scare me defensively. So, you know, and, and a, a team with the offense they have, I think maybe Buck talked about it on the broadcast yesterday, but, you know, you can you can carry a less than great offensive catcher on this team because of the crazy offensive potential in the rest of the lineup. Um, and if a guy was killing you behind the plate, you know, if he – you know, if he drove you crazy like a, you know Gary Sanchez does with the Yankees, for instance, you you would you would worry that that might hurt you in other ways. But all of these guys seem to be able to work with the pitchers, call a game, whatever that means now, because it's not you know just one guy. It's a you know you're 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 taking a bunch of info from a bunch of places and kind of translating it. Um, but they all seem you know cool and collected behind the plate. You know, Adams is a guy who you know making his major league debut looks like he belongs there. He's nice and quiet behind the plate. So no, I think it's it's something that will get worked out. I think it's interesting because they have so many options in in terms of guys who could be, uh, you know, uh, a, a number one in the future. It'll give them some assets to trade. Although, you know, I'm not sure Reese McGuire has a ton of value. I'm not even sure Danny Jansen has a ton of value right now. But uh, it's just it's just going to be interesting to see it work out because I think a lot of us said, well, you know, Danny Jansen's the guy, and they gave up on Reese McGuire this spring, and you know, we we everybody likes the look of Kirk, but. Don't you know? Love the bat, but you don't quite know how that's going to pan out. And now we're looking at the guy who's in Double A, as you said, Scotty. But um, you know, there's there's like there are not many teams that have four young or youngish catchers who look like they could all play in the major leagues. With Stephen Brunn on leadoff, and that's uh, Gabe Moreno, by the way, that we're we're yeah. referring to the top catching prospect, or that we believe is the top catching prospect amongst the many uh, that the Blue Jays have. Stephen Brunt with us on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. In your memory, Stephen, is there anything comparable that you've witnessed to what the, the, the horror, the near horror that we saw on Saturday when Christian Eriksson collapsed in the in the Denmark-Finland Euro match? I was thinking Yuri Fisher, Rich Peverly on NHL benches over the last decade and a half, but even then, they were on the benches. Like, Eriksson went down on the pitch in the middle of action and it it was i mean i I, there's there's really no opinion here it was just it was horrifying to see thank god he's okay and we can discuss whether they should or should not have resumed the match on the same day but do do you have any historical comparison anything that you've witnessed Uh, that came to mind well it's it's, things but they're different right everyone that i would think of would be different because you know like clinton larchuk you know uh almost bleeding to death in a hockey game uh was one i covered a lot of boxing you know and i've watched a lot of boxing in my life there you know i've seen people die you know in the ring um and or be hurt very very badly but you kind of you know i hate to say it but it's kind of expected you know, like it's something that could happen. You understand historically that it has happened. It's a, you know, the the intent of that sport is to concuss people, and um, there's all kinds of reasons why sometimes, you know, you know, something terrible can happen. So I I witnessed that, but this is different because it's not that kind of sport. Because it's not about, you know, a terrible collision or anything. It's just um, an act of, you know, an act of fate, and uh, yeah, to see it played out in front of a stadium, in front of the, a global television audience to see the looks on the players' faces, I think, 
you know, was as much as anything is kind of what told the tale. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting watching the broadcasters try and find a way to deal with it. Uh, that, you know, what's the right amount of information to give the audience? What do you owe the audience, you know, in terms of telling them what's happening versus respecting the privacy um, and not exploiting the situation? Replaying uh, the, the, the incident versus not replaying it, all of that stuff. It, and it's yeah. and there's no right look. I'm going to say like if I was in a truck, a television truck, there trying to make that call, I'm not sure there's a right and a wrong. It's 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 really really is is you know it's and again it's not something like you practice for it and say okay what if this happens, uh, but it was yeah it was horrifying. Um, the decision to go ahead with the game, you know, they did consult with the players. I, 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 and I know it was interesting hearing ex-players on the broadcasts say, I don't think they should have played, but, you know, it's kind of hard to get into the heads of the guys sitting in the locker room during that pause. You know, imagine the Denmark team, they got the, you know, FaceTime from, from Ericsson to say, you know, finding out, A, finding out that he was still alive, that he was okay, and B, saying, I want you to play. So... Yeah, I'm not. Again, I'm not sure there's a right or a wrong there either. But uh, I, you know, look, everything, anything I could say about it is a cliche. You know, about mortality. Sitting there on a you know a sunny summer afternoon, staring at television, watching somebody look it very much looking like something you see in a medical drama on television, where you have the comfort of knowing it's not real. Mm -hmm. But it was, but it was real. Um, you know, watching it appeared we were all watching somebody die. And uh, there's nothing more profound than that. Yeah, and thank goodness uh, Christian Eriksen appears as though he will be all right, and the Danes will uh, try to push ahead in the tournament, having lost that match ultimately, one nothing to yeah. to Finland. Uh, we'll leave it there, Stephen, just because we're up against it, and uh, you know we'll be back with you next week. So by this point next week, the Jays will have played the Yankees for three more, and they'll have gotten into the soft belly of the schedule, allegedly, apparently. Well, I've been playing Baltimore over the weekend, so hopefully they can make some hay there, and we'll see where this all goes. Look forward to chatting next week. All right. See you, Scott. That's Stephen Brunt. Uh, he is the co-host of Writer's Block, 3 to 5, each and every weekday, alongside Jeff Blair here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Nicholson-Smith. So what is the market for relief pitching today? It's not quite trade season in Major League Baseball. And what can we realistically expect the Blue Jays to do in the next six or so weeks leading up to the July 31st trade deadline to address their needs? This is a good baseball team. And they're very close to being very good. And in seasons where you have the chance of being very good, you should try to be. Because the build is on here. This team is getting close. But there are no promises. So if you're going to contend or close to contend this year, make it happen. Ben Nicholson-Smith on the other side. Ben Nicholson-Smith, baseball editor of Sportsnet.ca, Blue Jays MLB insider, is with us. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So, Benny, the Blue Jays are a good team on the verge of being very good. And when you have the chance to become very good, I think you got to take advantage of it because even though this team is on the upswing, we can't be promised anything in the seasons ahead. To become very good, they've got to address the bullpen. The offense is on fire. The starting rotation is starting to round out. What is the realistic market as we sit here today for pitching? 
Well, I agree with everything you said there, Scotty. And I think that they do have to be very active in searching for pitching, both in the relief market and the starting pitching market. At this point in the season, as you know, the teams with pitching to spare, the teams that are willing to listen on their arms, whether that's, let's say, the Texas Rangers or the Pittsburgh Pirates, the teams that are clearly out of the race, they don't necessarily have to part with anyone because they still have six weeks to get a better offer if they don't like what they see. So, as you know, there's no reason for those teams right now to trade some of their pitching for anything less than an offer that they deem to be fair value, which does give those teams a little bit of leverage over the Blue Jays. But I think at the same time, we're not talking about top prospects here. There's a ton of precedent for these types of moves. And there are a lot of relievers in baseball, as anyone knows, who turns on a baseball game and every team has nine relievers in their bullpen. So it only takes, what, two relievers the Jays need, maybe three. Um, I think it's more than one. But they just got to find a couple of guys. I think it's doable, even if there are some challenges in the early part of June when it comes to making a trade for a relief help. Vladdy with his 21st home run, uh, leading in almost every stat out there, absolutely crushing it right now. Can the Jays ride Vladdy into the playoffs and say they don't make a move for a reliever or another starting pitcher? Is he playing well enough where they can kind of, you know, just follow him into the playoffs? If anyone can do it, it's Flatty. I mean, he's he's having an incredible season. He's having the kind of season that makes up for a lot of weaknesses or injuries or flaws on a team, and that's incredible. I think as we see almost every year, unfortunately, with the Angels and Mike Trout, there's a limit to even how much any player can carry a team, and Mike Trout, arguably the greatest player ever, and the Angels just never make the playoffs. So I think the Jays know this. They know that they need to help their team, and to me it would be – you know, it would be a failure on the part of the front office if they don't add to to what they have. And it doesn't mean they have to go out there and be reckless. It doesn't mean they have to go out there and and be as splashy as they were in the offseason when they added George Springer. But they've got to do something. I, I think it, it, it wouldn't be acceptable for them to look at this team as it is and just stand pat at the trade deadline. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm with you on that because the thing is, is you're going to win some games 18-4 to four with this high quality offense, but you're going to be in games far more often that are a run or two, right? Either way into the seventh and eighth innings. And you can't just continue to trot out these look. I mean, it's not a particularly nice way to describe them, but in some cases you can't just continue to trot out these scrubs. Yeah. Like that, that's what they, that's what they are. And it's not fair to some of these guys. Like, I'm not being critical of Anthony Castro when I say that I'm okay with Anthony Castro on the pitching staff, but I don't want you to have to use him in leverage every second day. And the other things I don't understand, Ben, are like, what's the deal with Jordan Romano? Like, one night he's got forearm tightness and isn't available for the opener in Boston. The next day he's throwing 99 miles per hour, less than 24 hours later in a late day game. And does he need one day off in between appearances or two days off in between appearances? Like, I, uh, it's it's not clear to me. And I guess we don't have to know that. But when we're watching the games, we are assessing what we're seeing without full knowledge of situations. And when you don't see 
your top guy two out of every three days and you're thinking, geez, we got to lock this one down today, fans start asking questions, and appropriately so. Yeah, as they should, and and it's totally true. I mean, I, I think, you know, Anthony Castro, to your, to your earlier point, by and large has been really impressive, and you want him on the staff, but he gets a little overexposed. Same with Tyler Chatwood. We saw him get overexposed. Jordan Romano, they've used him a ton. Arguably, that has put them in this spot now where, you know, he's day-to-day certain times. They've got to juggle that. So what's happening is all of these guys are overexposed. And the solution isn't to keep using them as much as they have or using them in the same spots they have. I, I think it's to reinforce the back of the bullpen. And, and look, you don't have to go out there and trade for an elite reliever. Because let's look at the bottom of this bullpen right now. You've got one-third of your bullpen consisting of Jeremy Beasley, Joel Pyamps, Taylor Saucedo, these are guys that you can upgrade over. In some cases, they are almost the definition of replacement level. And so you need to go out there and get average to above average relievers. All of a sudden, those guys are in the minors. They're not out of the organization. You option them down. Then you have a little bit more to work with, and you are not beholden to Tyler Chatwood in leverage. Or, oh, let's see if Trent Thornton can step up and be a leverage guy. I mean, there's just been... And it's not the fault of Pete Walker and Charlie Montoyo. This is, to some extent, the product of injuries. But look, it's been a couple months now. Now it's also on the front office. This is part of their job to go out there and get reinforcements. And I think they will. I mean, it's like, we're seeing this, they're seeing this. I think they're going to get reinforcements, but they need to do that. With Ben Nicholson-Smith. So it's one thing, and you don't have the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm interested in your theory on where this may go. It's one thing to go and get a relief arm and you might trade a, a maybe prospect or something to acquire a guy like that, somebody that we'll probably never hear of again. It's another thing, and I'm using this particular team as an example just because they have some names that we know both in the starting rotation at the back end of the bullpen, the Minnesota Twins. Whether it's Jose Barrios, Jay Happ in the rotation, Alex Colomay at the back end of the bullpen – it's another thing to do a bigger deal where maybe you get a rotation piece and a relief piece. Could you see the Blue Jays wading into that pool, Ben, or would they prefer to avoid doing a big, big splash in season and reassess things after the year? I think if you can find ways to combine multiple needs in one trade, I think that makes tons of sense. And I mean, I look at the Twins, that makes sense. Uh, the Pirates are another team that has um, some pieces the Blue Jays could use. I think the Washington Nationals, and you know, maybe they're, they're trying to reassert themselves in that race in the National League, and Scherzer dealing with a little injury stuff and probably won't be traded anyway. But I even look at Brad Hand, Daniel Hudson, Kyle Schwarber. You know, they're, they're names that could help just reinforce this Blue Jays team. And if you're talking about Let's say for argument's sake, it's, it's Brad Hand plus Kyle Schwarber. It's still not a mega trade. It's not a blockbuster. It's just something to help this team out, to make the roster a little bit better, and to give Charlie Montoyo and Pete Walker a couple more options in-game to do a little bit of different things with so that you're not looking up and, okay, it's leverage. We're going to Tyler Chatwood again at a time that he hasn't restabilized. I mean, it's, it's just... You've just got to find those small upgrades when you can. And, of course, if there are ways to make bigger upgrades, and we're talking about a Barrios or a Scherzer 
then you have to be on those conversations too. But even some smaller upgrades would help this team. We'll leave it there, Benny. Thanks for your time, and uh, you know we'll be reaching out again shortly. Look forward to it, guys, anytime. Ben Nicholson-Smith is the baseball editor of Sportsnet.ca, Blue Jays and MLB Insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. The Christian Eriksen situation, the good start for England, the good start for Italy, and the Scots play in one hour's time. I'm just going to... Keep harping on that. The countdown is on. Euro 2020 with Christian Jack coming up right after this. Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Blue Jays hit five more. Well, they should say they hit eight home runs after five on Saturday. They are absolutely clubbing uh, the baseball and they beat Boston 18 to four yesterday afternoon at Fenway Park. The Jays have won two in a row. They'll go for three out of four at Fenway with a game tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan and Sportsnet 1, Alec Manoa, will get the ball for the Blue Jays' hard-throwing right-hander and veteran Nathan Ivaldi for the Red Sox. Stanley Cup semifinals are underway, and the Islanders are off to a good start. 2-1 victory. Uh, they got the first two goals and then gave up a power play marker with the empty netter late in the third, held on to beat Tampa Bay 2-1. So the Islanders grab... Home ice advantage away from Tampa Bay. The Canadians will look to do the same as game one tonight in Vegas against the Golden Knights takes place with a 9 o'clock puck drop, a game you can watch on Hockey Night in Canada and on Sportsnet. NBA playoffs, Kyrie Irving leaves the arena in a walking boot, so they're down Harden, they're down Irving. Are the Brooklyn Nets? Can KD pick it up? Milwaukee 107. Brooklyn 96, that series is now tied. Two games apiece with Game 5 back in Brooklyn tomorrow night. Phoenix putting away Denver in a four-game sweep, 125-118 yesterday. Atlanta plays host to Philadelphia tonight. Philly leads that series two games to one. And Kawhi and the Clippers down 2-1 to Utah play host to the Jazz. Euro 2020, uh, yesterday's results... England 1-0 over Croatia. Austria 3-1 over North Macedonia. Yeah, don't mix that up. It's North, not Macedonia, not Republic of Macedonia. Just make sure you're clear because there was a big issue this weekend. Not FFM, not Football Federation of Macedonia. That's upset the Greek government. (laughs) So 3-1 Austria over North Macedonia. And 3-2, the Netherlands had a 2-0 lead over Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine blew it, uh, but then scored the winner 3-2 Netherlands over Ukraine. Today, less than an hour from now, is the kickoff. Scotland, Czech Republic, Poland, Slovakia at noon, Spain and Sweden at 3 o'clock. And to discuss uh, Euro 2020, a good buddy. He is the vice president of media and content for the Canadian Premier League, and we'll certainly get into Canada's men's World Cup qualifying as well. Here is Christian Jack. KJ! What's going on? Good morning. How's everybody? We're doing well. It's been a while, pal. Good to hear your voice. Great Um, to hear yours, my friend. So, look, I mean, I'm going to steal away here. Um, uh, The Scots are playing in an hour. I yeah. I am so excited, man! So excited, because <laughs> it, it the the these these instances, my man, are few and far between. Few and far between. 
Yeah, they certainly are. Look, it's great, you know, for any of those that have got connections to Scotland to see this. But I think anybody who likes the sport itself, you know, first of all, we want to see those kind of images where I know it won't be a full Hamden today, but 12,000 people is still better than no people at all inside that stadium to get to play the equivalent of a home game. For those that don't know, Scotland haven't been to a major tournament since 1998 World Cup, and we all remember that when obviously they kicked off the tournament against Brazil and played really well in that game, narrowly losing that match. So, uh, look, they deserve to be there. You know, I was delighted to do the games during the playoffs. We had, you know, a penalty shootout where they have to come through that. But, you know, they, uh, they've they been given a good a good draw. They're in the group with England, and they're looking forward to that on Friday. But, boy, oh, boy, Scotty, I know this. you're excited about this, but this is a massive game today against the, what I think is the weakest team in that group. And uh, they need to get something from today. It's a big, big game for them to start the tournament with. So England beats Croatia, and it's a replay of the 2018 semifinals of World Cup. Um, I was in Croatia during that time in 2018. It was absolutely crazy. I was in um, split, I believe. Um, what have you? What do you think of England so far, and what are their chances in this tournament? Well, I think it was as good as it could be. Ziggy yesterday, to be honest. I think you know, obviously, starting a tournament at home under immense pressure that only the English can really ever do, other than, you know, there really isn't another country that puts the amount of pressure on this team than that. You know, I think it was as good as they could have played. You know, I think they started off really well. You you mentioned Croatia. They controlled that semifinal game in 2018 because of the outstanding midfield players like Luka Modric and Marcelo Brozovic and, uh, and, and Kovacic played yesterday as well, and you'd expect them to do the same. And look, England had a better team than them yesterday. The facts are there. You know, everyone that follows Croatia knows that this is an aging team that has no longer got a number nine that the players are getting to a little bit too past their peaks now they really peaked in 2018 but it was always going to be a difficult match for England you know you're playing the first game at Wembley you know it was going to be close um they didn't necessarily get the goal that they that their fast start needed uh but then they stuck at it and then having Raheem Sterling playing the game again it showed that a lot of decisions that Gareth Southgate made that many of the English press called necessarily a question uh, were answered very quickly and he got a lot of things right they deserve to win the game and as for their chances in the tournament look I think they're just going to keep going but they're going to get out of the group they're favored to win the group and they're playing Scotland and the Czechs next they're not easy games but they'll win the group they'll win the games they'll need to and they'll get through this group but after that I think it's going to be tough you know they've got a bright young team they've got a lot of belief in Southgate you know if they can get through that last 16 they'll have a quarter final game that won't be at Wembley that'll be a big test for them uh, so they're amongst the favorites for a reason, but uh, I just don't think, I think Matt, a couple of other teams are a little bit stronger. With Christian Jack on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan, from a microscope point of view and living under it, like, I mean, Christian, you live in the Toronto area. You, you know how we deal with the Maple Leafs after they bow out to Montreal. Can, can yep. you put into context, and it, this is not solely England, the Italians, the Germans, I mean, there's there's heavy, heavy focus on their national teams. But can you put into context the type of coverage and the type of pressure that these English players are under? I, I think it is the, the highest of all of every team in the tournament. And I think it's a really good comparison with the Maple Leafs. You know, what, what ultimately you have is you have everybody talking about it. So every single selection, much like the Leafs during the playoffs, line selections, who's playing with who defensively, you name it, everything's being written, everything's being said about, it, about this England team. And, you know, the, the, the pressure, you know, we, we know these days, you know, in, in newspapers, 
still in England. Everyone's buying them and, and reading the articles, the pressures on the players. For those listening who didn't see it, for example, Raheem Sterling yesterday scored the goal. He hasn't played a lot of games over the last few weeks for Manchester City down the stretch. But he's a, a genuine, very you know, world-class player. He's an outstanding player, deserves to get his spot scores the goal and the line of questioning after the game was have you justified your position in the, the team you know he just scored the one goal in the game what do you expect him to say you know so look at you know i think you know the, the amount of pressure is immense on these players and i think that what they do have is they have a very progressive quite young manager in gareth southgate who's been there and has failed in the past and has done everything he can to work with this group of players to ensure that that shirt does not feel heavy and they go out there and forget about the past and try and move forward. And I think that is something that, that they are working on. And they've spent a lot of time overcoming those mental barriers they've had in the past, particularly winning the shootout like they did in the World Cup, which they hadn't done before. Uh, but you're right to bring it up. The pressure is immense on these players, and it will only grow as the tournament continues. Uh, with Group A, with Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland, how much of an advantage is this for Italy? They don't have to leave the country yet. Everyone has to go to uh, Baku. 3,000 yeah. kilometers away. How tough is that? It's a huge advantage. You know, that's one of the, the quirks of the tournament. You know, when, when this was first developed by Michel Platini, the former UEFA president and secretary general, they thought that this would be a, a, a party across Europe. And unfortunately, you know, because of the pandemic, it hasn't necessarily worked out that way. Look, the Italians were very impressive on Friday. You know, very impressive. Turkey may well be their hardest spoil in this group. And they've got a bright, you know, young team, not really with any international world-class stars, but they've got a lot of good young players in that team who play the right way. And they'll be fine in this group. Uh, and you're right, they've got, a, they've got a distinct advantage. The one thing that these teams have talked a lot about, Belgium uh, have talked a bit about this as well, is that they're going up against the Danes who have had their own issues with the Christian Eriksen saga on the weekend. And they're playing those games. Is that Eventually, if you want to progress in this tournament, every team's going to have to go away from their home. It's not like there's one path, even England. So uh, they've got to figure out that they don't treat these like home games, even though there's got a big advantage with that. Uh, and then if they want to go win the tournament like Italy do, they've got to be prepared to play a style and be aware of it that they're not going to play the games all in With Christian Jack, who is the vice president of media and content for the Canadian Premier League and our uh, Euro 2020 analyst, this is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So let's delve into the Christian Eriksen situation. And I think the, the only thing that matters here is that it looks as though uh, that Eriksen is all right and and is going to come through this it was a mortifying scene christian and i don't know if there's a right or a wrong way to handle a situation like that he facetimed his teammates uh within an hour of his collapse he encouraged them to return to the pitch and complete the game uh, both the danes and and the Finns ag- agreed to do so um it was scoreless at the time the Finns ended up winning the game one nothing. Was there anything differently that could have, should have been done? It's so hard to judge these things. It's so hard to know. It's so hard to have a proper feel for it. Yeah, I agree. Look, it's it, it really is. There's no you know there's no real manual here to say if this happens to a player, what can we do? You know what we're subsequently finding out though is that the Danes were presented with three different cases. That was go play the game now. Once Christian Eriksen said that you know go play it, you know within that that notable notable time play the game the next day at noon or forfeit the match. And I don't necessarily think those three suggestions should be exclusively to the, to, the, to the chances. So for me, it's clear that they weren't ready to play the game. I felt deeply sorry for them having to go out there and play the game. They just felt, and they've said since some of their players, that it was the, 
the best worst case scenario for them. They didn't want to come back the next day and have to play the game. Um, they didn't necessarily don't want to forfeit the game. So they're like, okay, we're already here. We're in the dressing room. Let's just go play. But you could say, you could see that they weren't ready to play. Uh, I don't really know the answer. You're right. You know, for me though, in those situations, this thing's a lot bigger than sport. And would anybody really be grumbling right now if it was just canceled the game and they said, no, no, let's move on. Both have got one point. You've got two more games to try and get through this group. You know, I think that could have been a potential option as well. And the way those scenes developed, I don't think anybody in the world, including Finland fans, would have been, you know, silly annoyed at that potential scenario as well. With Christian Jack, um, on another front, Canada's World Cup qualifying will continue tomorrow night. So it's the second leg of their uh, two-leg date with Haiti. They get a clean sheet and a road goal in a one-nothing win in Haiti on Saturday. Canada's home game will be played in Chicago at nine o'clock tomorrow night. I mean, uh, obviously they're not in Canada. There's there's no home crowd. These guys are on the grind, Christian. Um, what do you make of this? So they're in a very good position to advance. Uh, how far can they take this? Well, I'm just really excited about it. First of all, it's great that we're talking about it on a, on a station, uh, you know, like you guys are talking about this because I, I, we kind of overstate the importance of this game enough. You know, it's it's an absolutely monumental match. You could argue probably one of the biggest games in the history of this program, um, one of the biggest games in the history of Canadian soccer uh, on the men's side, no question about it. Just to give everybody an idea, what is on the line here is that they come through this game tomorrow, and you mentioned it, Scotty. We, we did the game on one soccer on the weekend. They were 1-0 up after that game. If they get through this, they're in the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. They are in with U.S., they are in with Mexico, they are in with Costa Rica, the giants of, the, of this region. Over 14 games that will be played between September and March to try and get into the top four. The three go to Qatar, the four team go into a playoff. And this is where this team believes they belong. This is the team that we know now has Alfonso Davis of Bayern Munich. We have Jonathan David, who played, obviously, an outstanding season in France and won the league with Lille and beat PSG. Big-time players around the world that are costing a lot of money that are starting to show that they can you know, carve out a reputation for themselves. Players who play for Toronto FC in this very city, Jonathan Azorio, Richie Larea. It's a bright team that is trying to carve out its own destiny with so much excitement. They want to go and test themselves against the best in this region. They haven't been able to do that for a long time. We haven't made the last round of playoffs for the World Cup since 1997. So uh, a big match, guys, a big match. And if they can get through it, it's it's enormous for the sport in this country and that program and that group of men. And it's also, I mean, aside from just simply being the next step, it's also the next step on the path to 2026, right? When we're going to be in as right. as one of the hosts. And, and you know, Alfonso Davies will be in the prime of his career at that point. So many other big names. So it's, it's an exciting time, Christian. It feels like the worm has finally turned. Um, the women have been uh, doing so wonderfully for so long. It's good to see the men's side uh, finally picking up the slack here. It's an exciting time. Listen, um, you know, uh, we're in for the rest of this tournament with you. We always look forward to hearing from you, and we'll be reaching out again as uh, this thing rolls on. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate it. Okay. Keep up the great work. Christian Jack is the vice president of media and content for the Canadian Premier League and one of the uh, top soccer analysts in this country. Andrew Berkshire of the uh, Montreal Gazette on the morning of the night when the Montreal Canadiens and Vegas Golden Knights play game one of their Stanley Cup semifinals. Mr. Berkshire, how are you? 
I'm doing great. Just trying to keep uh, the two kids from fighting because the youngest one won't share a pony. So, uh, you know, it's a big deal. Won't share a pony. Like a real-life pony or no, a no, stuffed like a, pony? Like a, no, yeah, like do we have to head to the Berkshire residence? I was like, maybe <laughs> what we need we? to take a trip there on we the got weekend. A, they yeah, got ponies. Like, what else you got? You know? <laughs> no, it's just like a, a walker that's shaped like a pony. Oh, you know? I was just going to say, like, do you have a Ferris wheel in the backyard, a merry-go-around? What is, is it? The Berkshire County Fair or something? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the, he's, he's got a popcorn machine for sure. Maybe cotton candy there? Uh, Maybe, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> uh, before the pony, I thought you were saying, well, one kid's in a Vegas Golden Knights jersey, the other's in the Habs jersey, and they're already they're starting to fight 12 hours before puck drop here. Um well, look, it's always it's always good to catch up, and and naturally, and it's it's an exciting time in in Montreal, and we're all just so uh, peachy keen thrilled that that Niagara Falls was lit up in the uh, Blue Blanque Rouge. Uh, but enough about that. So so as they head into this thing, Andrew, you know, the last six to eight weeks of the regular season, the Habs were playing all the time, and they stormed back and beat the Leafs in a seven game series. So they were playing all the time, and they rolled right into the Winnipeg series. Now they've had a little bit of rest. Advantage Montreal or disadvantage? It's hard to tell because the most rest that the Canadians have had for like half of the season was when they came into that Leaf series, right? And they started that Leaf series not playing that great. You know, the first four games of that, they were a lucky bounce away from being swept, essentially. So it's hard to know. I think it's a very good thing for Carey Price. Uh, he always does really well after a little bit of rest. Uh, you know, he's uh, getting a little bit on the wrong side of the career for uh, sustained great play. So it, it's good for him to get some rest. Uh, I think it's really good for Jeff Petrie to get some time for his fingers to recover after getting his hand caught in the uh, camera hole in the glass, which is a bit of a freak injury. You know, Shea Weber and Brendan Gallagher, more time for their hands to heal so they can handle the puck a little bit better. But in terms of uh, cohesion and playing together, I think the rest might throw a bit of a wrench in there, right? Because when you're just constantly playing every other night and you're just really on a roll, I think the rest can throw you for a loop a little bit. And at the same time, you know, they have more practice time than they've had probably the entire season in the last little while. So, it'll be interesting to see how they come out. I think you're probably going to expect them to not outplay Vegas, right? Because Vegas is just such an incredible buzzsaw of a team in terms of controlling the puck. So the way they're going to play is not going to look the same as they they did against the Jets, where they controlled the puck almost the entire time. It's going to be, you know, hold on and survive, kind of like the way they did against the Leafs, but to an even greater degree, trying to cut down on the highest uh, danger chances that – the Vegas Golden Knights can get and keep Carey Price uh, solid in that net and get some <clears throat> some uh, adv- some lucky scoring or like take advantage of their few opportunities. So uh, it'll be tough to d- decide. You know, like, are they playing poorly because uh, Vegas is just much better at controlling the puck, or is it strategy? Because I think it's just going to look completely different. One of Montreal's strengths has been getting their, the lead early, right? And we've, not just us, but I feel like everyone's talking about, well, what happens when they don't get the lead? What happens if Vegas comes out and controls the starts of these games? How do you think Montreal will, will respond with you know playing from behind? 
Well, typically during the season, they didn't respond very well. Uh, they're definitely a team that's much better playing with the lead than playing from behind, which I think most teams are, but it's a very stark difference for them. I think they don't really have the firepower up front necessarily to erase especially multi-goal leads, right? When, when other teams are really hunkering down and defending, the Montreal Canadiens really have trouble breaking through their defensive systems and getting high-quality scoring opportunities. So it's very important for them to really get in early in games and uh, and get the lead early. And, you know, we, we've seen them now. I think they're second in NHL history in terms of time in the playoffs without trailing. Eventually they're going to be challenged, right? And you'll you'll have to see what are they actually made of. Is this a team that's just on a hot streak or is it as – you know, mentally tough, uh, as people are talking about them as uh, in Montreal. I think whenever a team is having everything go right for them, we, we make up a lot of narratives and like, oh, you know, this team was built for the playoffs. This is what they were meant to do. This is, you know, Bergevin's idea of uh, just make the playoffs and you never know what could happen was right all along. And it's like, maybe, but uh, they, they have to be tested. And I think over the last seven games, they haven't really been tested outside of those overtimes against Toronto where the Leafs did their fair share of help to make sure that he didn't win. Andrew Berkshire of the Montreal Gazette with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. And I'll acknowledge before I ask this, Andrew, that it's more of a post-mortem question, but it fascinates me as the Canadians are still active, and who knows, may end up in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, when you look, When you look at this group looking ahead, and you see that it's quite likely we'll be back into the divisional format that we've understood of the last few years. So there will be Tampa Bay, and there will be uh, Boston, and Toronto, and Florida, and on down the list. How does this Habs team stack up going forward with that as its competition and how do you appropriately judge that based on this very nice run that the group is having right now? It's that old push and pull, right? Like a deep run in the spring can make you believe things about your team that aren't true, just like a close miss of the playoffs or an early exit can make you believe things about your team that isn't true. Yeah, that's something that I touched on. I don't remember if it was on this show or not, but when the Canadians won the series against the Maple Leafs, there's a very good chance that the both teams could take the wrong lessons from that, right? And that's always interesting to see a team buy into playoff results, especially in just a single round. But, yeah, I think the Canadians, if they – next season they better finish better than the fourth team in uh, the other Eastern Division, right, in the Metropolitan. I think that's the biggest challenge that's going to happen for them is – Going back to the old divisions, that, that I mean, we were a Tuka Rask injury away, not to take anything away from the Islanders, but we were a Tuka Rask injury away from three of the final four teams being from the Atlantic. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that's, that's incredible competition. Now, I think the Bruins are primed to start taking a step back here soon because their core is so old, and they aren't necessarily throwing in, like, a lot of really young prospects. They They really have done the best they can to get the most out of this core. Like eventually Patrice Bergeron will slow down a little bit. Eventually Brad Marchand will slow slow down a little bit. So I, I do think that that team is a team on the defense more than they are on, on the, 
the rise and the Canadians are kind of kind of stuck in the middle, right? Cause they've got the older core and like Petrie price Weber and they've got all those young kids coming up and you hope that uh, if you're a fan, that the young kids can buoy the older guys to a, a more sustained run of uh, good seasons. But it, it's a, a big question mark, right? It's worked well this year, but we don't know how it will work next year. I, I do think a lot of what we're going to expect next season is going to depend on what they look like against the Golden Knights. Like we've heard all season long from critics that the North Division is terrible. You know, like the Leafs were only good because of the North Division teams, the Canadian teams were weak. Like maybe could be true based on the numbers that we had during the regular season that didn't really hold much water. But if the Canadians just get blown out all four games against the Vegas Golden Knights, maybe we'll look at it and say, okay, maybe that was not a very good division. And maybe there won't be very many high expectations from the Canadians next year. But I think internally, now that they've had this run, the expectations should be higher. And the biggest question mark they have is if Jake Allen gets taken in the expansion draft, and Carey Price continues to struggle during the regular season to put up consistent performances. Because I think that's the big issue for him right now is at his age, with his injury history, I think he can have these spurts of incredibly elite play, uh, especially in the playoffs where he's you know pushing to the very max every time and making sure that he's on his game. But over an 82-game regular season, he hasn't been able to show that consistency. You know, he's fallen apart for long stretches. And if that happens again... Can you rely on young kids like Caden Primo? Not sure. I don't know if Caden Primo is ready to start 30, 40 games a year. Is there any talk in Montreal around the Tatar and Pacioretty trade and how Tatar is not even in the lineup and Pacioretty's pretty much Vegas' best player right now in the playoffs? Uh, A little, but most of it's just ignoring Tatar and pretending that the return was just Nick Suzuki. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think most people are focused on Nick Suzuki as the main thrust of that trade. Tatar back then was essentially a throw-in in the trade. It just turned out much better than they could have imagined. I, I expect Thomas Tatar to get into this series because he's not injured. He's just a healthy scratch. And I think that there was like the first couple games of that series, he was lacking intensity a little bit, but he really started to pick it up and then, he was out of the line. <laughs> it was like he, he couldn't put up the points, so they were like, all right, we're going to try something else. And then you, they put uh, Jake Evans on that top line with Brendan Gallagher and Philippe Deneau just playing like an extreme defensive role, and he excelled. And then uh, Jake Evans was injured in game one against Winnipeg, so they threw in Arturi Lekin, and, and he scored in back-to-back games. You know, So it's, it's kind of tough sledding for Thomas Tatar to get back in the lineup right now, which is crazy considering he's, like over the last three years, he's the Canadiens' highest point-getter. So, like, you would expect that he would be a guy that you'd want to get in the lineup, but when everything's working for you, it's tough to make those decisions. Vegas is heavily, heavily favored here. Uh, I mean, from a realistic point of view, do, do, what kind of chance do you give the Habs? I, I, I hate asking for a prediction, but I guess I, I'm sitting on the fence and, and essentially asking for one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough because, the Canadians, I, I, I followed Dom Lucision on Twitter and on his uh, writing in The Athletic, and he was talking about how over the entire time that he's created like his model for predicting playoff series, only five times has a team that had less than a 25% chance to win a series won the series, and three of those were the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> and uh, one of them was this year against Toronto. They have less than a 25% chance for his model to win this series against the Vegas Golden Knights. And I haven't heard back from him yet, 
but I'm pretty sure that the Canadians have actually never lost a series during the time that he's had this model that they've had less than 25% chance of winning, which is ridiculous. But they do strive as the underdog. The thing that I look at this series and say, not this time, though, is that I just don't see the weaknesses in the Vegas Golden Knights that I saw in other teams. You know, like They're not a team that has trouble uh, like mentally getting over the hurdle, like Toronto. They're not a weak, even-strength team like the Jets. They are just incredibly strong throughout the lineup. And Marc-Andre Fleury is playing really, really well. So I, I think they need to show, to see like early Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Penguins-level Marc-Andre Fleury to win this series. And I'm just not sure how likely that is. All right, Andrew, we'll uh, let you go so you can go moderate the Great Pony War of 2021. <laughs> may the best may the best child win. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk to you soon, pal. All right, talk to you. Andrew Berkshire of the Montreal Gazette, and a father, two kids fighting over a stuffed pony. Christopher Stig will get his prediction on Montreal Vegas and. I'd imagine we'll ask Chris for Phil Kessel's pump-up speech for Les Habitants. Verstig is next. So the Islanders on the road beat the Lightning in game one. And the Habs, who may not have made the playoffs in a normal season anyway, have the Golden Knights in the other Stanley Cup semifinal game one tonight. It's like when Jerry... It's like when Jerry was talking with his stomach and his girlfriend gave him a choice. You either stop doing that or you break up with me. He breaks up with her. Uh, we'll have to get a little motivational speech from Phil Kessel before this segment is over. Poor Christopher Steeg, huh? Like he thinks he's Best coming time on of the morning. He thinks Best he's time com- of the week. He thinks he's coming on for the <laughs> hockey analysis, and we always stick him with a Phil Kessel impersonation. Uh, here he is, Christopher Steeg of the NHL on Sportsnet. Morning, sir. How are you? Good. How are you guys? We're we're doing well. Um, so the Habs and and Gold Knights. Get things underway in Vegas tonight. 18,000 people will be screaming and going mad. It'll be a different environment than the Habs have encountered, uh, even in their own barn, at any point so far in these playoffs. And I think it's pretty fair to say that Vegas is clearly the best team that the Habs have faced to this point in the playoffs. If, If you're Montreal, Chris, how do you attack this beast, not just tonight, but in order to win four out of seven. Yeah, you're going to have to hold on and hope. There's going to be a lot of that for Montreal in this series. And it's going to have to come down to price making timely saves and them scoring timely goals. Because if you actually look at yesterday's game as well, these last three teams left, they can grind you down. And that's what they can do. They can cycle you. They can beat you below the dots. They can beat you off the rush. And they can defend all really well. And that's what Montreal's actually been doing in the first two rounds against the other Canadian teams who just want to score pretty play, a power play goals and score off the rush. None of them want to grind you down. And Montreal's been the team that's realized that's what it takes to win in the playoffs. And they got to carry a little bit. They got to carry more of that mentality forward. Sorry, against the, the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights don't have that high end ability that Toronto has. 
But Toronto didn't have that grit and determination to score in different ways than the Knights do, and they don't physically pound you, and they don't stick to a game plan like the Knights do. So it's going to be frustrating for the for the Canadians as the games wear on, especially with just how they come at you in waves and they play the game right, and they're not going to take any chances consistently. Just say, look at... Look, you know, Marner at the blue line, one play in, in game seven, or if you're looking at Dermott in game six in overtime, or uh, where, where was it, Galchenyuk game five? You know how those three plays all stack up and end up losing you a series? Those plays generally in these other games won't happen consistently. You won't get those looks. It's going to frustrate you. You're going to have to create it on your own. And that, again, comes from below the below the dots and creating it. So, they're going to have to stick to their game plan, play hard, and get a lot of get a lot of luck. But anyone who wins the Stanley Cup needs a lot of luck. The goaltending is going to be a big talk of this series, and obviously Flurry's had a great playoffs along with Price. But everyone kind of expected Flurry and Price. Uh, I'd say it'd be fifty-fifty uh, at best. Is there any chance that Price outplays Flurry and? the Canadians take this series? Like, is there any way Price can win it for them and Flurry stumble somehow? Look, I, I, I never want to say never. There, there's always a possibility. Um, I can't see it. Just because, again, they just, throughout the entire season, they've never played these type of teams, these top five, six te- teams, whether it be Tampa Bay, Boston, Islanders. They never played against these teams consistently. So I can't see it. But if it happens... I, I mean, there is a possibility that it does happen. We had Andrew Berkshire on in the last segment, Chris, and I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked him. And, and as I ask it, I understand that this is probably best asked post-playoffs as opposed to before a series starts, but I'm fascinated nonetheless. If, if you're Mark Bergevin, you're the front office of the Montreal Canadiens, how do you properly assess what your team is vis-a-vis the Atlantic division as we've come to know it and what it will return to being next year. Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida had a pretty good year, the Maple Leafs, etc. Like a deep spring run can fool you into believing things about your team that may not be true. How do you get a proper assessment if you're the Montreal Canadiens front office? That's going to have to be at the end of the season. I They do have some young pieces. They have some guys that have come in and played, you know, really well. Caulfield injected it. And then it's the Kakeniemi, you look at him throughout the season. I watch him. I'm like, I don't think he's a center every day. But right now he's playing really well. So, like, Kakeniemi's standing or stepping up. These other young guys keep coming to the plate in big moments. So what happens is you got to get to these big moments you got to get through the regular season you got to get to these games and they've been showing up and playing big so the assessment for them going forward it is going to be a tricky one they do have pieces they have some aging pieces as well and this year because of the division they're in it's going to be hard to uh, determine what that is I think they really got to get into next year to fully see what they have or maybe let this play out but again you're right the playoffs have to finish Next year has to start up, and I think by Christmas time next year, you're going to have an assessment on what your team really would be, and that's not the answer you're looking for because you want an assessment before the season is. Something that's going to be noticeable is fans, 18,000, 19,000 in Vegas, and what is it, 2,000, 2,500 in Montreal. We are talking earlier on the show, and, and I was trying to let... 
Isn't that it? Is it more? They changed it. I don't even know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I have no idea. I think they're hoping yeah. to ramp it up a little more than the twenty five hundred, but that's what it's been. That's what it's been, right? So if itays the yeah. same, it's going to be noticeable, right? And I was letting Scotty know that's for players on the ice, especially young guys. I think it's a challenge going into a rink that's packed and it's a lot of energy and it's it's one of those environments that's hard to play in. Where do you stand on that with fans and and young guys like? you know, caught Kinyami Caulfield. Is that going to be difficult for them or non-issue at this point of the season? I'll tell you what, if I was young and I was playing, I'd rather just play all seven games in Vegas with a full stadium. Yeah. You know, that's just, <laughs> that's what you want. You want that feeling. It's going to be difficult, especially these first 10 minutes of the game where like we've been watching these Canadian games happen and there's no momentum swings, right? You can clearly see without fans, when there's a goal or two goals ahead, the game's almost over. There's real no momentum swing. And in these other games, generally when it's packed and someone scores, you can feel it. You can feel the energy. You can just feel the game. So there's going to be those momentum swings and these, these occasions where the fans are getting out of their seats, they're going nuts, especially the first 10 minutes of the game. It's going to be overwhelming. And it's going to be hard to calm their nerves because they just haven't been in this situation since when? December or January of 2020, most guys. So it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be exciting. I mean, it starts in the warm-ups in Vegas. I think I told this story last week. Uh, when I was, my last ever game was in Vegas, and in warm-ups, the base is so loud, this guy's beer shook off the ledge, right? Did I tell you guys this one? <laughs> no, you didn't. No. <laughs> yeah. And then the pucks are vibrating on the ice from the, from the base. Like, like you're, you're in a nightclub and you get off, you get off the ice and your heart rates at like 160 and you've probably taken six strides. You're like, what is going on right now? You know, it's just, it's, it's craziness in there. So it's going to be hard. They're going to need the big guys, the older guys to tell everyone to, you know, sink into the game, keep it simple early on. It's going to be overwhelming, but it's going to be the time of your life. Literally, it's going to be the time of your life. And the game is about the fans. Everything about this last year has showed me hockey sport is about the fans, the the, the momentum swing, the energy. Um, it's just everything. And, and I'm so excited these players that have worked so hard in this Canadian division. They haven't got it all year. It's going to be, it's going to be exhilarating, man. They, I'm so happy for them that they get to go be a part of that in Vegas at this moment. Yeah, and just just your point, Chris, I mean, with your background in Chicago, having won a cup with the Hawks, you know it in the United Center. I mean, watching that Sunday night baseball game last night between the Cubs and Cardinals, it was a, it was an absolute zoo at Wrigley Field last night. Like 40,000 people just going bananas. Um, and people just want out of the house. So, so that's a, to your point, I mean, that's, it's just going to be wild in Vegas and a ton of fun. And, and Vegas fans can smell the cup too. I mean, I think uh, they've obviously got a legitimate contender there. Um, Islanders in Tampa Bay, Ziggy talks about Barry Trotz and adhering to his system. And the Islanders have nailed this thing down over the last two or three years since he arrived. How difficult is it for a team, not just to commit to a system. I would imagine that that's easier but to actually adhere to it through the ups and downs, peaks and valleys, night in and night out in each game. Cause the Islanders, they don't, they don't revert course. They stick to it. Yeah, they stick to it. Well, first off, if that game yesterday sold to one market, the New York Islanders, that was one of the worst games I've watched in the playoffs. Just boring. But regardless, 
Islanders stick to their game plan. Besides, there was bad refing too, and there was three incredible refs on the ice. I know it's McMix, uh, McCauley, and Sutherland. It was poorly refed, but they kind of play their game with those one-minute penalties all over the ice. The interfering, they get away with certain things that it's pretty shocking. But they just they play it to a T. But when you start to look at the overall picture and the build of the Islanders, it comes down to a veteran team. They're a veteran team. And you look at these other teams throughout that are all out of the playoffs, not besides Montreal, who's injected a lot of youth guy like Caulfield, but these teams that are left in the playoffs are veteran teams. They have guys who know how to make plays in certain moments of the games. They're not going to put their team in a bad situation. And every single guy throughout the Islanders lineup isn't going to take a risk at a certain moment of the game or a bad time of the game to put their team in a bad situation. And that's where I talk about the, the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not going to hand you goals. You're going to have to earn every situation, and it goes back to the Islanders. They're not going to hand you anything. They're they're generally playing on the line and over the line, but not just far past enough where the refs can call everything, which they should be, but they're not. So they play their, their system to a T, and it's not going to sell many tickets, uh, eyeball tickets, but at the end of the day, who cares for them? That's what they're going to do. But veteran teams I go back to that can play the game right and not take those those risks at bad times. What do you think about Stamkos getting benched after the uh, on the giveaway on the Barzell goal? I don't, I don't think he played for seven minutes until he came back on the power play. Um, yeah, I, a little I'm surprised not, or? I'm a little surprised just because that's just, a guy that shouldn't make that play at that moment of the game. But, and that's what I talk about. Generally, the Lightning are going to take more risk than the, than the Vegas Golden Knights and then the Islanders. But that's a play you just can't make. You're getting off the ice and you throw a hoper across the blue line and then it gets turned over and it's in your net. So I have no problem with the benching. It's just don't let it keep dragging on. I know when we played against the, I think it was the Lightning in the 2015 finals, game one, there was there was a minute and a half left. We're up two one, and they didn't have Stamkos on the ice, and you could clearly see that that sunk into his game the rest of the series, and he was almost non-existent just because of, you know, his coach kind of putting that in his mindset early in the series. So he he obviously knows how to push the buttons of Steven, and I hope that Steven comes back and has a better game too. He he wasn't that bad. It was just that play you can't give those plays, and that's what we just talked about pretty much the first ten minutes of this call. You those plays can't happen at this time of the season. All right, Chris, before we get you out of here, let's pretend that Phil Kessel is asked by Dominic Ducharme to step away from the high-stakes table at the Bellagio, wander down the street to T-Mobile, and give the Habs a pep talk. What's the message before tonight's game? Guys, I'm just telling everyone I feel terrible. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to bring it. But, but, if you all bring it, we might win the cup. We don't have much hope, but we might win the cup. That's that's all I got today. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there. Chat next Monday, Steger. Always fun. <laughs> Christopher Steger of the NHL. Awesome. <laughs> I'm not really feeling it tonight, <laughs> but if we bring it, we might win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why can I why can I picture that being the exact words out of <laughs> Phil's mouth? Uh, the Blue Jays go for three out of four in Boston tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Habs and Golden Knights game one at nine o'clock on Hockey Night in Canada. We'll break it all down tomorrow morning at six. Good shows next. Happy Monday. Whoa!